You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. One of my most beloved sponsors has got to be Audible. I had an Audible account long before I thought about ever getting into podcasting. And Audible has an awesome gift for all of my listeners. And if you head over to audibletrial.com forward slash jryan, you're going to get a free audiobook on them and me. All you have to do is sign up for a free trial. And if you decide that Audible's not for you, and within 30 days, you can cancel. No harm, no file, you spend no money, and you get to keep that free audiobook. Audible has hundreds of thousands of books in their catalog read by world-renowned narrators. From New York Times bestsellers to the classics, they're all on Audible. So again, head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash jryan and pick up your free audiobook today. I bet you didn't know we had a merch store. That's right, we actually have merch. If you head on over to the description, the notes of this episode, there'll be a link there to the merch store, and you can head on over to the Mediocre Horseman store. From there, we have socks, we have hoodies, we have tanks, we have tees, and there's new designs coming out all the time. And the special this month is the Feral Appalachia shirt. 100% of the proceeds of that shirt are going to help feral horses in Appalachia. And 50% of everything else that's sold in the store is also going to go help feral horses in Appalachia through Feral Aaron as part of the Appalachia Legacy Initiative. So click the link in the description, head on over there, get something, help out some amazing horses, some amazing people, and uh, help me feed my horses for crying out loud. And welcome back to another episode of Behind the Horse's Eyes. I am always your humble host, Mr. J. Ryan Chastain, TikTok's horse daddy, YouTube's up-and-comer. Uh, okay, that one's, that was a bit of a stretch. Regardless, we have a hell of an episode. I've been battling bronchitis, and it's been kicking my butt, and, and I didn't get to edit this as well as I wish I could have. My idea was to get three episodes out of this one recording, and uh, you know what? You're going to get a Joe Rogan-like three hours. Two of my favorite off-the-track thoroughbred friends dropped by, and we were all over the page from horse racing to breeding to quarter horses to some of our favorite horses and clinicians and gosh, you name it. There are a few spots where there's some dead air in this episode. I didn't, I couldn't sit down and try to get it all out. I just, I honestly, I just didn't, I didn't have it in me, and I greatly apologize for that. So without any further ado, here's the episode. I want to thank all my great sponsors, Audible, Anchor FM, check out the merch store. Also, special shout out to Saratelli Hat Company. Saratelli are the only felts and straws I will wear these days. They're not a sponsor yet, but they do make a great product, and I want to give them a shout out. You can find Saratelli on Instagram and on TikTok at Saratelli Hat Company. 
And uh, if you go over there and you follow them, make sure you comment on their videos and tell them that Mr. J. Ryan Chastain sent you. You heard it on the show. And you might be helping the show out. So, no more pause, no more breaks. Here's Flo and Jesse. It's a long sip, Flo. Must be something good in that cup. It's raspberry iced tea. <laughs> oh, I'm over here. <laughs> the the unofficial sponsor of Behind the Horse's Eyes. Right. So. It's okay, Flo. I'm drinking water. Oh, I mean, I, I guess somebody has to be a degenerate here, and I guess it's me. Right. Uh, so for those that do not know, we're joined by. We're joined by Flo Schmorgoner and Jesse. Jesse, what is your last name? It's Reuter. It's Reuter? Mm-hmm. Like Reuters, like, you know, the... Reuters News Corporation, Corporation, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, God, I'm glad somebody's smarter than me. <laughs> so, yeah. the uh, And I'm sorry, for those that don't know, tonight has been crazy. We, we originally were going to record at, what, 6.30? Somewhere around there. And then it yeah. turned into 8.30 because, you know, Daddy had to do a thing. And then that thing ended up running way over and it involved two ponies and a draft horse. Don't ask. And it's 10 o'clock. Tis what it is. I know. You guys are troopers. And you're just really lucky that me and Flo like each other because we were having a fun time sitting here BSing without you. <laughs> I'm like driving down the road, following a truck with a tractor on it, doing 30 mile an hour through back roads, dodging deer, texting flow. I think that's a country song. I think there's actually three country songs like that, if I'm not it, mistaken. It probably is. Can probably. we stop since since I think since everybody knows flows here? I'm pretty sure everybody listening and playing along at home knows this is going to be a thoroughbred episode. Heck yes. And uh, but. Before 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 we get into the meat and potatoes of this, can we stop and appreciate that John Velasquez, a thousand wins? Oh, good for him. Good a for him. A thousand wins, and it came at Saratoga. What Honey. a writer. Oh, telling you, him and Smith. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't get better than that. It it really doesn't. Just the amount of balance those two have, I'm pretty sure they could win the Kentucky Derby on a penny. I mean, I you know, I always said that uh, Smith was slated to ride uh, Palace Ballas his year of running, and he got pulled last minute, switched horses, and I always said that Smith had been on Palace Ballas. We might have been talking about Triple Crown winner. But we got a Belmont. That's okay. The Aiken horse got a Belmont. I think out of all three, that's going to be the one to... That one is the one to win for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's literally nicknamed the Graveyard of Champions for a reason. And as the resident New Yorker, like, hometown track, baby. There's, there, 
that track will kill people if they don't know what they're doing. I want I want to go. Me and me and Flo were talking the other day. I think I sent her a text. I said, "Mom, can we go to Saratoga?" <laughs> Heck yeah, we can. I just want to because all right. So I've um I've been so I've been to the Kentucky Horse Park. I did not get to go to Louisville to go to Churchill Downs while I was there. You know, it's like an hour away or something. And I'm pissed that I didn't get to do that. So it would really upset me. And you know what? I think on my way home, because I'm going to be, for those that don't know, playing it long at home, I'm going to be in uh, the Ohio State Fairgrounds in last weekend of September for Quarter Horse Congress for the reigning portions. Uh, if you see me in the wild, come by and say, hey, like everybody did that rode to the horse. I won't be as awkward this time because now I'm used to being spotted in public. Um, it was touch and go when the first person caught me coming out of the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I was thinking I was on my fifth or sixth bourbon at that point and did not understand what was transpiring. And I was sitting at a come out the bathroom, sit at the table. Poor guy comes sat down next to me. He's just talking about waiting on his wife or something like that. And then four people in a row come up and like shook my hand, took pictures with me, this, that, and the other. And then he looked over at me and he's like, who the hell are you? I had a spot in the wild at the show. I had a spot. Ooh. It was a young lady. Um, so she came to Dover. I got her a jacket. And then this was like months later. She's at the show and she looks at me. She's like, is that tart? I was like, hi, yes, I'm <laughs> Nice. You know what we she need to do? recognize the horse. I need to come in Dover one day when you, you know, because you're always like, fit checked perfect at work i need to just dress up nice and come in there and get somebody just to take our picture together just so we have that like me decked out western you decked out you got to wear that brown and brass belt for me because i love that belt i don't know where it is (gasps) i will fight you i don't know where i put it that's a metaphor for my life as well like i have have it somewhere i mean i I mean i miss stuff all the time because i'm messy i will say that teal and brown boots will come out those are those are now my calling card those green those green breeches are pretty dope are they not they are dope disrespectful colors is now my thing i love it i love it disrespectful ponies with disrespectful colors the looks i got from the other hunter people at the show Mm -hmm. my goodness i was cardinal sins i mean you're already you're already riding off the track thoroughbred so let's just break all the rules let's do everything they hate when I came into the arena with rust breeches and a mm-hmm. yellow show shirt, there were gasps. Just, oh, who is she? In a hunt cap? How dare she? Did 1960 she called. They want their outfit back. And I was like, they don't get it back. It, it would only be better if you had like a pintoed horse. Oh, yes. That's a lot of white to clean. And <laughs> I have oh. I, I have one. <laughs> and like, she'll look clean and then she'll get sweaty and black just oozes out from under that white. <laughs> And now I just went and apparently agreed to get a gray pony today. Ooh. I'll get you a, break, a gray pony kit. That's We were just talking about TBIs. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, man. So off the track thoroughbreds, I think everybody knows that I am... I am an admirer of thoroughbreds, and everybody knows me as the quarter horse guy, even though I am not a quarter horse guy. I'm a Morgan guy. Um, And I always, whenever I'm talking about quarter horses, because that history does, you know, 
it 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 gets me going. I like the history of those horses, and that's because of um, I love rubbing it in a lot of people's face that don't understand is that the AQHA is a performance horse registry that just happens to have cow horses in it, and all of those performance horses started with racing thoroughbreds. Yeah. Yes, they did. And then I've got two off-the-track thoroughbred trainers. How lucky am I? I thought I was stupid. <laughs> right? We just keep coming back. I don't I don't know why. Oh, yeah. And I've had Flo on before. And and Jesse, if you don't mind, could could you just put us up to speed with you? How did you get involved with thoroughbreds? What's your story? What's your horse story? So I like many people. Um well, yeah, I'm going to say many people. My parents got me into pony camps, and I, I was very th- thankful. Um, I started off with a daycare that had ponies, started going to pony camps, where I remember there was this one big Tobiano pony called Spanky that I absolutely adored, and then this 20-something gray off-the-track thoroughbred. Skips a couple of years later, I come home from school with a flyer for a winter camp at an English riding academy. Before that, I had exclusively ridden Western. And I basically rode two different horses, ponies and off-the-track thoroughbreds. And I always say that there's nothing in life I didn't learn that wasn't learned on the back of a thoroughbred. Um, My very first horse when I turned 10 years old that I owned was a 26-year-old off-the-track thoroughbred. After him, I actually got a little quarter horse, and that was the very first horse I started on my own under the guise of a former assistant of Buck Brenneman. Um, Then I got my big boy. Uh, let's go mambo and that was that horse was two weeks off the track um one month gelded and holy hell i did all i was 16 years old i did all of the legwork to build that horse you did all of the things is what you did i've been there and done that i i told flo earlier it'd be easier for me to tell you what disciplines i haven't actively done um and sadly, I, I lost Mambo two days after my uh, 17th birthday, and that's when I got my current boy, uh, Nadongo, whose father was Horse Chestnut, who was a South African Triple Crown winner. And I've pretty much been there, done that in the horse world. Um, I, I still have a bucket list of things I'd like to do, but I literally made thoroughbreds my personality from the time I was four years old, and I have stuck by it. <laughs> So I think Flo, I think you know this, and but Jesse, you don't. So I've owned an off-the-track thoroughbred. We called him Chevy. I cannot remember what his jockey club name was, um, and we had his jockey club papers. You know, on the back of the on the back of the jockey club papers has all about their career. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, his just had like a just a bunch of junk. Like apparently he just did not do any <laughs> of the things. This horse was so bad that it even like, oh, you know, maybe that we could just use him as an outrider horse or just use him around the f- no, 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 no. Immediately to the cell, you're gone. He was like, <laughs> you know, sixteen and some change hands tall, big leggy rascal. You couldn't get a canner out of him. Sounds like Donald. You could not get a canner <laughs> out of him. Like and then you didn't fight it. It was just like not happening. He was just like he'd just take a deep breath. <sighs> I had one mare. Turns out that she um, she had been off the track for a few years. She had been a polo horse forever. And the idea of Hunter Qs or even Western Aids totally did not register to that mare. I could not get her to canter for the life of me. Sold her to another polo player who galloped her across the field. And I honestly looked at that man and was like, I hate you. <laughs> 
some horses are just like that. Yeah, I just 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 like the pony I went and looked at today for my daughter. And uh, my daughter is very timid, and you know she's really just now took a real, you know, my heart's warm because she's finally taken interest in horses. And I always say, um, you will find out what type of riding instructor you are uh, when you teach your kids to ride because you never cut them any slack. And most people will send their kids to another trainer. Yep. Um, I found it out through my husband. Yeah, so I, I I think what I'm going to end up doing is probably sending my kid to someone I trust, and uh, but because me I get I think it's you come from my loins you're gonna, you know what I mean like today you know I'm fighting with her hands you know and I'm like they need you know she's on western side on this pony this is this is oh this is a pony that's that's been driven in road English it's used to being collected so I'm like I need to see your hands low I need to see. And she kept getting them hands up around her neck and everywhere else, and I'm like, mm. and then Lady owns the ponies. We're talking about pinkies, and I'm like, we don't do pinkies out, not in my world. We do not do pinkies out. And I'm over there, and I'm like, well, let me ride the ponies. So I'm riding the pony, and like, you know, this collected, nice, very nice yeah. English pony. You know, reins in my left hand, direct reining with my pinky. You know, on my phone filming, and she's looking at me. And she goes, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Yeah, having a ride. grand time." I'm riding this pony. She goes, "Are you, how are you riding that pony?" And I'm like, "This little guy right here." I was like, "I'll teach you something about that little guy right there." You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I can, it doesn't bother me, you know. But my daughter's so intimidated because collection. She's not used to collection. She she rides these old neck reining horses we have here. You know, that she can plow rain and drag around. And now she's got a little pony. That she's got to stay out of its face. Well, and let's, let's just recap. You're also getting her a gray pony for her first pony. Like, isn't there some stereotype about this? Like, are you sure you not, really want to not, not any gray pony. So this pony was bred by this lady. Okay. And then the daughter of this pony is on site. Um they breed driving ponies, so they want a kind of a stocky little pony. So they so they breed them uh, like three quarters Welsh, quarter Percheron. This pony has horse feet, not not draft feet, but horse feet, big nice feet. Got a nice ass on it and lives on air. Does and your has, daughter want to jump? This this thing is seventeen. It doesn't canter. I tried. I was a po. I am like a professional pony squisher. I, you know I what? Am five I, foot two. I love pony squishers. Same flow. Me and you immediately went to the same place. And, and the funny thing pony is, pony hunters, here we come. You know, yeah. You know what's hilarious? The hilarious thing is, is like I'm five foot four, and I feel like, I look down at Flo, and I'm like, yes, I'm a man. As soon as oh. we get you up on like Donald or Tart, you're like, okay, no, that's it. Flo's Flo's got it. That's it. I don't want to do it anymore. But but I like a big horse. Like if I'm walking up, okay, let me put this let me put this out there, and then we'll get on the on the track thoroughbred train. If I walk into a barn that I've never been in before, and I don't know any of the horses, and they're like, let's go for a ride. I go, give me the biggest plug you got. Give me the tallest thing in here. If it's 17 hands, that's what I want to ride. You take that little 
12 hand munchkin and go do whatever give me that one because if that one starts to act up i'm gonna get plenty of warning signs because it's gonna take a lot to get that big body you know wound up (laughs) to do something stupid you can absolutely ride donald all 18 hands of him he is he's handsome he's a saint of a horse you're not gonna have an issue oh i like donald already I get hold on, I gotta check, make sure noise cancellation. Oh, I'm having a microphone issue. Everybody bear with me. There we go. No problem. Okay, we're good. It 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 kept getting lower. Could y'all tell it was getting lower? Not at no. all. Oh, maybe it was just my monitoring. Maybe I just like hearing my own voice loud in my own head. <laughs> so Flo's been after me to come back talk about off the track thoroughbreds. Jesse, I met you the other day, and uh, yeah. I appreciate you, your fangirling kind of, kind of oh. warm my heart. I'm a nobody. Like I'm just, you know, I'm I'm literally Flo has met me in real life. Like me and Flo are actual friends in real life. Like she don't she lives like you live five minutes from me now, and yeah. Yeah. and like I'm just a bumpkin. Okay, but you got to remember, I lived in Wyoming for a decade. Like, those are the best people. I'm going to fangirl over you because I realize that you're a real horseman. You share no, the same interests. You've got the wrong you. idea like, about me. <laughs> Listen, Ryan, all your horses are fat, happy, and shiny. Mm-hmm. And apparently, that's really hard to do. Yeah, for some damn people, it, it, apparently, it, it, listen. All right, so I live where we live in Flote, where we live, especially here in North Augusta and Graniteville area, it's literally a foot of sand. And then you're lucky to get some kind of crappy grass to grow on top. So everything that you have just turns into dry lot because the grass just can't survive. Because, you know, horses are going to eat down to the root anyway. Like, there's spots where I just let my cows, there's grass there, where the horses got has its dry lot. You know, but... um. My horses are pretty much on dry lot, and I'm not feeding super potent feed. Now, I do give them free choice hay, and they all got hay bellies, and y'all can be mad at me all you want, but you know what? They're shiny. They're shiny, fat hay bellies, and I'm okay with that Um, because I'd rather see them have a hay belly than either be obese or be super skinny. Yeah. I kind of feel you were my horses down in Savannah. Um, I don't know how they ever got grass to grow there. It is a mixed marshland and sand but they have warm bloods on that property and draft crosses that are fox hunters and they are all fat happy shiny and gorgeous i think it has a lot to do with and a lot of people they do not give it credit but for some reason in this area from the central savannah area central savannah river area down to savannah and kind of middle georgia and central south carolina the damn coastal Bermuda that we grow here is almost as good as some fescues. Like, the yeah. forage quality on our coastal is just completely different. Like, I know people that spend a lot of money to buy hay from Ohio, and I'm like, have you seen the forage quality of the coastal that I buy for, like, 50 bucks a bale? A lot of the coastal here is as high of quality as the orchard was in California. I have to say yeah. the quality of hay... Um, and I haven't tested the hay here, but I mean, proofs in the pudding. My horses look good. Yeah, well, see, and like the the hay I get is tested because I buy I buy from somewhere that does test their hay at UGA. Go dogs! And um, 
the uh you know you're defending national champions and good hay testers by the way but um no you know and and i get to see every cutting they send samples off to uga and i get to i get to see that when they go hey we new hay here's your price by the way here you go i i know what the sugars are i know what the forage quality is i know i know everything about the hay and I'm looking at it, and I'm comparing it to the other hays that are, you know, hays that are imported out of state, which I don't like. I don't like out-of-state hay um, because I don't want whatever's in there growing in my yard. Is that dumb? Yeah. But, um, yeah, really I mean, yeah, and especially with you guys, and we're going to get on the off-the-track thoroughbred train. Thoroughbreds do can kind of have a tendency sometimes to be harder keepers than some. Oh, Jesse's the perfect person to talk about this. You saw me tense up as soon as he said hard keeper, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, thoroughbreds are genetically different, and we're finally starting to see some studies that show that thoroughbreds have a higher requirement for protein in general. Like, if you take 100 horses and 10 of them are thoroughbreds, maybe six or seven of them are going to actually require usually somewhere between 20 and 30% more protein than other horses. But that's still a lot of thoroughbreds. So mm -hmm. when you have a quart of horses that are happy and fat on air, three thoroughbreds that are happy and fat on air, and then seven thoroughbreds that it doesn't matter what you feed them, they're not getting fat. They actually have a higher bodily demand for protein. And I've, uh, I posted a video about it on my TikTok. I've had a, quite a few comments about people saying, well, I feed my horse this, I feed my horse that. And they're like, it almost always includes alfalfa. And I'm like, well, that means you're feeding really high quality alfalfa that's really high in protein. Cause that's a really major portion of these horses that for centuries have been bred to be exclusively athletes. That's kind of been the only purpose of thoroughbreds since they kind of first start coming around and we're seeing the repercussions of it and the fact that I think the average horse has a blood uh, a blood protein content of around 100, 110. That's kind of where the sweet spot is. And we're seeing a lot of thoroughbreds these days that have a requirement of 130. And that's when they're happy. That's when they're fat. That's when they have a nice hay belly and they're shiny and they're glossy. And they finally lose that title of being a quote unquote hard keeper. You know, and we're starting to see that, honestly, in um, some of these quarter horse lines these days because they are being bred. Again, and I always emphasize this to people, the AQHA is a performance horse registry, and there is other registries for quarter horse, such as foundation quarter horse registries and this, that, and the other, and those kind of capture original quarter horses. And even though you may have a stock horse or a ranch horse that's registered with the AQHA, that's awesome, still quarter horse. And it's registered with a performance horse registry. But we are starting to see a lot of these lines these days, especially some of these top cutters, these top racing quarter horses, um, which are amazing athletes, by the way. Oh, yeah. And um, even even some of these ranch lines that are getting some of these more performance-oriented horses in starting to become harder keepers because originally quarter horses were one of those breeds that lived on air. They looked like they look like pit bulls on Bill Jack on all stock, you know, uh -huh. and, and, and we don't see that anymore. I think that falls into Jesse's point with the protein intake with the quarter horse industry where the breeding has gone, where we saw a lot of draft crosses come in with 
the foundations of these lines yes. where it's comparable to a power lifter in the human world and let's say a CrossFit athlete, right? We want now we want these quarter horses to be CrossFit athletes, which requires just more protein for them to be doing these high metabolic jobs. Whereas when we had a lot of that draft blood, they were built for short bursts of energy versus long distance running or continuously sitting on their hind end. I mean, just going into the reining aspect of it, which a lot of quarter horses um, are bred for now, that's a lot of anaerobic exercise. It's, that is a lot. That is it's a hellacious different. amount. And it's very different. So now breeding those horses for that purpose, you're finding more, and they have brought a lot of thoroughbred and Arab blood into those horses. If we look at the line specifically, it's falling away from those big drafty horses that were kind of the rock crusher ranching kind of horses that maybe could just walk for 10 miles, but it's not really high anaerobic exercise. Yeah, we, we went from Joe Hancock to Corona Cartel, if if that's if that makes any sense to anyone there. Yeah, and perfect. Yeah, you know, and you've got on one hand, you know, the uh, a foundation stallion whose dam was a half percheron, you know, dinner plate feet, big hindquarters, big chest, rotund kind of horse on the smaller side. Now we're talking, these are small percherons. We're not talking about, you know, carriage ride percherons here, but still big stocky horses that were bred to go all day at a certain pace. You rope from it, you know, you drag cows from it and it go anywhere. It do anything and live on air you know and we all know draft horses and our draft horse people out there listen will tell you if if a draft horse looks at a scoop of feed it gains 50 pounds yes i mean they're they're just they're super susceptible you know i did a video recently on you know the corn trend is going on on tiktok right now it's cool yeah Yeah. And and i said you know that's a good time to talk about corn um and in horse feed and Unfortunately, really, a, a lot of draft horses are one of the horses that they do not need corn. No, no, no. Thoroughbreds, performance quarter horses, that little bit of corn that is in feed, it's great. It's not a filler for them because they need that starch. They can convert yeah. that starch into energy, especially if they're showing at a high level. Exactly. You just, you know, make sure it's done right and you're feeding properly and it don't end up in the hind gut and then it's getting really expensive. Don't ask me. I, I know. So, okay, now that I've went down a completely different rabbit hole than probably what you guys wanted to talk about, I'm going to let you guys just take over. Don't give me that look. (laughs) I mean, shoot, you know what soapbox I'm going to get on with the third breeding industry. And that's what I was hoping you were going to do, that what you guys want to talk about was breeding. Because I've got my own opinions on breeding. In fact, my opinions on some of the breeding has changed more in line like me and you were always on the same page when it came to breeding and i feel that way about all you know uh i can't stand the fact that we seriously have the joke that it's you know it's line breeding when it works and it's in breeding when it don't why is that a joke that's sad so (sighs) ryan the history buff uh so i've been reading uh the book the perfect horse 
And it I'm actually. So I'm now reading it as well. So um, the author gives a great historical perspective on where sport horse breeding started. And it actually, um, unfortunately, started with the Nazis in Germany wanting to breed a war horse. How they got this idea was thoroughbred racing industry in the U.S. at the time before World War II. Yeah. Right? And the inbreeding started in Nazi Germany where, um, and I wish I could remember the gentleman's name, um, he was in charge of creating war horses for Nazi Germany. Wow. Yes, thank you. Um, Who? Uh, Gustav Rau. He was kind oh. of main horseman who is very, very close to a certain Adolf Hitler. Some tells me he was probably very close to Hermann Goering, too, because Goering was an avid outdoorsman. <laughs> yes, they were very close. Um, and what he did was when he took the Lippa's honors out of Vienna, he would breed. Yeah, he, so he would breed. Um, he would inbreed them to create a better warhorse. And oddly enough, the characteristics that he was looking for in warhorses are very similar to the characteristics we look now for in warm blood sport horses. Mm-hmm. So as unfortunate as it is, um, the breeding industry in the selective breeding category for line breeding actually started in Nazi Germany um, during World War II. So if we want to go that route, that's kind of where it really started, where they wanted to isolate a certain gene. And as unfortunate as it is, it falls into their eugenics program. Yeah, because if you look into now, you see do you do see cases of line breeding in horses uh, pre-World War II. Uh, you see it in quarter horses. Um, you see it. I mean, it was it existed. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, and man, you could get me down a rabbit hole. When we start talking about eugenics. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, 20th century military history was kind of my emphasis forever. Um, but, you know, we see that in to an extent in America, too, is the quartermaster corps had this idea. And their idea was, is how do we make the best cavalry charger? Hmm, race horses. And so they went out and they got all these thoroughbreds. And you know what they bred these thoroughbreds with? Things like Cleveland Bays. And a lot of people are like, Cleveland Bays? Is that still? Yeah, Cleveland Bays are still around. But they bred them with like Cleveland Bays. They bred them with ranch stock. And what they would do is they'd take these quarter horse stallions and they'd give them to the ranchers and go, bring them to your mares and we'll buy every foal. Yep. And uh, I know I've, I've mentioned it to you, uh, Ryan, but um, where, the river run, uh, where the river runs north, that book has a whole massive in-depth section about just exactly the entire way that the Wyoming ranchers who got those st- Italians approached that breeding program. They literally had specific pastures and mm-hmm. it was not a planned breeding. They said, this stallion goes to that pasture with that 50 mares, goodbye. Yep. That's right. And, you know, really- yeah, and in, in 48, the Quartermaster Corps pretty much handed it over to the USDA because the, the horse cavalry was over. And and we'll get back to thoroughbreds, but I got to throw this out there for the people that don't understand this. Um, several hundred intact stallions were turned out on range. 
and turned into the majority of Mustang HMAs that we know today. So you mean it's not Spanish horses? No, from... I'm I'm sorry, you didn't adopt a conquistador horse. You 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 adopted probably a descendant of Sir Galahad. Probably, yeah. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, you know. A th- you adopt you adopted something that's probably related to three bars. Probably. I mean, everything from John Deere tractors to fence posts is related to three bars. I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> They're probably more is... closely related to Mr. Prospector than they are to any Iberian warm blood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There. There's no. Yeah. There's no. Uh, that. Yeah. There's no. I mean, look. Just look at some of them faces and tell me where the Andalusian is. <laughs> tell tell me where the Lusitano is. It's in the very select few that have the Roman nose. That's that's I was it. about to yeah. say that. There are yeah, that's there are HMAs got. that have that, but then there's drafty HMAs. There are gated HMAs. That's true. Yeah. Those are that's Spanish true. choices. Save the uh, wild save the wild horses that's only been there since nineteen fifty. Yeah. Uh, uh, off the track thoroughbreds. Stay on tact, Ryan. You got this. <laughs> so breeding. So the, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Jesse. We're gonna talk about um. Uh, when I know me and Flo already had a little bit of discussion about it. Uh, the breeding industry in America took a major hit today. We actually lost the in the last twenty years. Very influential stallion, more than ready. Um. He ended up being euthanized today. They haven't released why, uh, as far as I know, he was still breeding and he was still in very good health. Um, but he ended up passing away today. So, yeah, I, I, as a horse person, as a thoroughbred person, I could never talk about breeding without mentioning the loss of major stallions, such as More Than Ready. Yeah. And I believe it was either a granddaughter of his or daughter of his that actually won the Preakness this year. I mean, he has... Definitely, I know a lot of sport horse people that have more than ready babies, and he's been a very good uh, OTTB sire as well, as far as sport horses and second career horses. Absolutely. Let's, since I have him pulled up here, let's just, just a few names to throw out in his pedigree. So he was by Southern Halo, um, who's by Halo, and then he was out of Woodman's Gal, girl, excuse me, Woodman's Girl, who was by Woodman. Um, and I had a mare that had the same bottom as he did and just Woodman in itself, just an amazing stallion for the listeners. Just go look Woodman up. But um, he had Nierko on top. Um, hail to reason. I mean, just Nierko. <laughs> the amount of prolific thoroughbreds in his pedigree is astounding. And it is definitely a line that we could not the, afford to lose. The fascist, I mean, let's just say it, a fascist bred racehorse who escaped Italy, lived through the London Blitz with his own bomb shelter, mm-hmm. became one of the most prolific stallions of thoroughbreds ever. Honestly, I'm going to go a step further and say the most prolific. I, I, mean, I won't disagree. Yeah. I'll honestly say it because I, there isn't a thoroughbred line that would exist in modern day, in modern day thoroughbreds without Nierko. We wouldn't have no. thoroughbreds what we have today. The um, let me guess. Uh, the only the what what um, Sham was not Nierko bred, correct? I think so. 
Secretariat was. Oh yeah, yeah. Secretariat was. Yeah. Which yeah, so that means we could take Secretariat, Stormcat, uh, uh, hell everything, fence posts, yeah. John Deere tractors, you know, uh, Coors banquet beer, everything goes back to Deere. The thing I hate most in the world is people being like, my horse is related to Secretariat. And I'm like, does yeah, everybody's horses related to yeah, Secretariat? Yeah. I think in 2008, um, I think that's when Big Brown, 2007, excuse me, when Big Brown ran um, in the Kentucky Derby. I think it was 19 of 20 in the start gate were descendants of Secretariat. I'm like, yeah. Like, I hate to break it to you, but your horse is not special for being related to Secretariat. No. And what a disappointing sire he was. He, he really, you know, he really was. He really was. He really was. A fantastic broodmare sire, but beyond that, he really did but, not have a right, lot so, to put on. But his hold on now, and there is something to say for stallions that end up being prolific broodmare sires. Like there's been some great. Again, everybody looks at me and go, "You're the quarter horse history guy." Now I'm a Morgan guy, but I tell you the history of quarter horses. That's where I'm at right now in life. There has been a lot of prolific horses, household name quarter horses that were just great broodmare sires. Mm -hmm. And without them, we wouldn't have horses like, you know, Paco Bueno, you know, or um, Mr. Gunsmoke, you know, like you need those broodmare styles. And they don't get any credit because everybody wants, you know, everybody everybody wants the, the stallion sires, you know, the one that throws those Hall of Famers on the ground. But everybody forgets the humble mare and the steins that produce really good brood mares. Yeah. Yeah, me and Flo kind of have a mutual goal, and that is to, you know, breed, race, retrain our own thoroughbreds. And um, I really love Funny Stein, and I love the whole story. You know, five lifelong friends coming along together to buy a random thoroughbred and ended up making it to Kentucky Derby. That's a prolific story. But what people fail to realize is as valuable as stallions are, because they can breed a bunch of mares and put a bunch of foals on the ground, you only have to pay one stud fee for a mare, and you can turn and flip that foal. If it's well-bred for $40,000, Me and Flo has already been talking about it. We're trying to raise the money right now to get, to get Palace Malice to cover her mare. Yeah, we were talking. I really like the confirmation on Palace Malice. It would be um, the trifecta. You've got Sham, Secretariat, and then Palace Malice, who I don't think is – I think he's a, a, a – I haven't looked – I need to look at his pedigree. I think he is he is out there somewhere else. Yeah, so to give you guys an idea and the listeners of the mare that I own, her jockey club name is New Blue Cat. She is by Bluegrass Cat. She is out of um, Grisham, who is by Grindstone. Um, her dam's dam is – Sham Street, so she's Sham. Grindstone is by Unbridled. Bluegrass Cat is Stormcat, and she's a winner. She's a winner is by AP Indy. So, and then I have Stormcat who ha um, has Secretariat back there. So I have Stormcat, AP Indy, Seattle Slough, and then of course I have um, Secretariat. I have Unbridled, and I have Sham in this mare. You get it. Basically, every major stallion of the last. <laughs> Every line that we are hoping to get. Oh yeah. I found a mare with it. So and then with and then with Palace Malice, his sire was Curlin, out of Smart Strike, Mr. Prospector. Um, 
Yeah, uh, raised a native, native dancer. Yeah. Uh, for yeah, the listeners, I, mean, I just want to say the reason I really want to breed this mare, the sole reason is she had 53 starts. That mare is sound, sound, sound. A mare that had 53 starts, and she retired because her last speed um, rating was eight. <laughs> she just got tired. She got tired. That's fair. I don't want to go fast either. But yeah, obviously something confirmationally is working for her and for a horse to be that sound for that long. She, I want to pass those on, make a nice sport horse. So I might be in the majority here, but I'm just, I, I haven't had a chance to look at your mare yet, Flo. Um, I know you and I have been talking. You have a, a bunch, and I mean a ton of amazing American lines and you know me, you know exactly where I'm going. I want to see some foreign in there. I want to see some Britain, some Ireland, some France. Some Was Germany. that you that commented on my YouTube video? Huh? Was it you that commented on my YouTube video about that? No. Okay, somebody commented and said the exact same thing. They wrote like two paragraphs on a on a YouTube video talking about sounds like me but was not me <laughs> but the, but the way they did it was like it was really rude so i just had to delete it because i mean i can't have that kids yeah. kids watch my shit i'm i'm a very big like i have a very much love and hate relationship with the american breeding industry i have seen a horse that i've absolutely loved to where they were routinely running 20 30 40 starts in a career and holding up and lasting long and then those war horses went on to be amazing fox hunters and show jumpers and very influential in the sporting world to these horses with spindly itty little bitty legs and damn near as uh, pardon my language but damn near as uh downhill as a quarter horse where you can put a hose on their butt and use it as a water slide oh you can and cuss here it's okay Okay, I'm making sure. I, I just try not to drop yourself. too many. No, I, I try sure. not to drop too many f bombs because then I get the explicit writing and then I'm excluded from some things. Okay, well I'm just making sure, and I just don't really see the. How, how can I put it? Uh, I don't say politely, but the way that makes the most sense for me, I don't see the treasuring of these horses and the betterment i see the betterment of wanting to produce a lot of foals really really quickly and push them through sales not caring if they ever make it to a race start can, not caring if they make it to a sport no. career. can can i just and like i know flow flows chopping at a bit about what i'm about to say it is not the 1800s anymore can live cover just like fly away can it just can it just go f off somewhere so box here we i am go. i am ready for super horses yes so and this is when i made that video about um someone commented on my tiktok that the sport um changed for the warm bloods and i was like no the warm bloods changed the sport but why did that happen and i was like the thoroughbred breeding industry there everybody's at my throat going well look at the quarter horses look at what i ai did to them and i was like yeah, you're always going to have people that are in it for the money and just want to, you're going to have color breeders. You're going to have people that just produce to yeah, sell. I can right. make any quarter horse I want right now and still register it as a quarter horse. Right. And that's the biggest issue I have is. And I can make an appendix and it earn a register of merit. Exactly. Why would I not want to take, because uh, a lot of these thoroughbreds that are, 20 years old they still have a fifty thousand dollar stud fee right yep. now 
I do believe in putting a cap on covers. I absolutely believe putting a cap on covers. Um, but with that being said, I see no reason why we couldn't collect and freeze and keep those stallions going long term, especially if the confirmation was beautiful and correct, if the soundness longevity was there, if everything falls into place and then they produced um, horses that not only had a thriving racing career, but the ones that were gelded or the ones that didn't have a high level thriving racing career went on to be sport horses. I don't see why the thoroughbred racing industry hasn't taken the leap and said, okay, we will allow AI. There is going to be a cap, but you can create a racehorse that will last longer. You will create a sport horse that will be competitive at a higher level that will be able to compete against the warm bloods and specifically the English sports because now, okay, I really want a thoroughbred, but you know what? I want something that can continue on into the hunters. So I'm going to breed for confirmation and movement. Neither of those things makes a bad racehorse. No, but do you think a lot of that has to do with keeping people like me and you out of the industry? I think it's got a part. Because, yeah. I mean, here's the thing, because here's the thing. If if AI was a thing for five grand, we could, for five grand with AI, we could, we could have a rich strike baby next year on the ground. Right. But here's the thing. People always want to go towards the quarter horse side of the house and the warm bloods did it and warm bloods in general are still elite. Um, they rule whatever. Here's the thing. And I will argue this all day, and I know you will too, is that when a warm blood gets involved in sport, just get out of his way. And it never used to be like that. But they can bring super a horses. Horse. Yeah, they, they built a better horse because they had the ability that some of the lines died. You could ship, as they should have. You, no, you could air mail a warm blood from France in a vial to your house tomorrow. But in the American racing industry, here's your stallions. Here's what you get to choose from. Oh, by the way, it's live cover. Oh, by the way, it's $50,000 if you want a shot. Jesse, what were you going to say? Let's loop back to taking a page Germany took a page out of our book what if we took a page out of their book because every state in Germany has its own separate stud book they're all German warm bloods it's all technically very much one breed however each state in Germany has its own stud book and they own little differences and quirks and changes in those horses imagine if we did that for thoroughbreds to where you are still out of that you still have a limited stud book but at the same time, it's different. So you could have a the stallion in Kentucky who covers 100 mares there. Send him to freaking California. Let him cover 100 mares there. You could still, and that can quote unquote promote some live cover, but definitely AI needs to be introduced. And part of it is to keep the small breeder out. Uh, I know, and the jockey club will never ever in a million years admit it, but until people started throwing a big t- temper tantrum about thoroughbreds ending up at slaughter and at kill pens and the idea of the thoroughbred incentive program came about, they did not give two shits, two shits about the sport industry. 
they didn't. And which sucks because back in, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, there were just as many sport trainers at those yearling auctions as racing trainers. It's just a massive slap in the face to the entire sport industry. Well, and, and the thing is, is there's not, it is, uh, in one way, it's a, uh, it's a tapped resource, the off-the-track thoroughbred is. And in another way, it's a completely untapped resource. Because, you know, I, you look at it, I think I tagged, um, Flo, I think I tagged you in, CJ made a video. Um, he loves a sport horse to turn into a cow horse. He'll take an old warm blood. He, he'll take an off-the-track thoroughbred. You know, he'll take whatever. You know, uh, Jessamine Rice has a student, has a whole stunner that does Western pleasure and Western massage. My jumpers pushed cows before. <laughs> I mean, there's so many jobs for these horses, and they're great horses. They're, you know, as much as we don't like the breeding at times, they're still bred well. They're not usually bred for disposition. No. But in the right hands, usually, you know, you you can get what you want out of them. They may never be uh, your grandma's horse. And that's okay. So there's a young lady in California that I had the pleasure of meeting. Um, and I'm not going to say her name because I'm not sure if she wants um, it known. But um, she breeds thoroughbreds, takes them to the track. They retire. And then she takes them to retired racehorse project. These thoroughbreds, these off the track thoroughbreds that she has, they're Grand Prix horses mm-hmm. and competitive Grand Prix horses. She, she got the formula down, right? She's doing what a lot of what Jesse and I want to do, what she has got it down where she breeds these horses that they will be sport horses and they're just going to get their start on the track. And she is extremely competitive. She is extremely smart. And I think she's 19 years old. I mean, she's extremely young. Um, Now, granted, I will say that she does have financial backing through all of this. So that is not an issue for her. However, that must be nice. Right. (laughs) Right. And, more power to her. She is a fantastic rider trainer. Like I will not take anything away from her. She has worked her butt off to get out to where she is, but she has done what a lot of thoroughbred people want to see in the industry. And her horses may not be competitive on the track and it doesn't matter to her because she's building sport horses that just so happen to be race horses at one point in time. And I think that's kind of the switch, um, from, the nineties to now is in the nineties. That's kind of what the thoroughbreds were. They were, they might be a racehorse. They might be really good. If not, they will have a job. Well, I think that's why, I think that's why so many of us were pulling so hard for the Japanese horse at the Kentucky Derby is we wanted to see a horse that was being trained as a horse, not just a racehorse. You know, you're seeing circle work. They're doing circle work. They're and doing he dressage. Was he was soft and yes. supple, and he was ahead of the vertical. It was gorgeous to see on a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know what that horse will probably. You know what that horse will probably end up though. A stud. He, he'll end up. He'll end up being a stud. A very well-behaved stud. I'll a very well. A very well-behaved stud. But 
you know, and but I look at horses like that, and, and everybody always wonders, how do they take a lot of these horses that come off the track and make them outrider horses, and they're just sane and sound and soft? Because of people like that. Well, and, pe- and people like y'all. I feel like there's something that people, there's a misconception about thoroughbreds, that when they're put on the track, they just get so hyper, so focused on running, so like everything going on that they're basically you know energizer bunnies on cocaine but here's the thing is i've learned most of the time those horses have seen so much stuff in their life that they are basically the most bought like the closest things to bomb proof at three years old as you can get they have been chased by and right they have been like so much has happened to them in three years i could i don't know i can i can name one he's just an asshole to be an asshole and i love him <laughs> And, and Flo knows what I'm talking about. That's Richie. Richie's an asshole. I'm just throwing it out there. There is a reason that I gravitated towards the off-the-track thoroughbreds. One, I don't have to do trailer work. Yes. They're on and off the trailer so many yeah. times. That part's done for me. I love it. Because being in a metal box with a horse that doesn't want to be in the metal box, not my thing. I'll do it, but not my yeah. thing. Lead changes? Don't like teaching them. I can. I will. Don't like it. They come off the track. Guess what? They got a lead change. That's right. They have to. That's right. Mm-hmm. They, you know, and there's a hundred videos, and I, I use this horse because I mean, he's he is the biggest snot in racing right now, and that's 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 Rich Strike. Rich Strike is a snot, and if you ever see yeah. him with a handler, and if you ever see him just in the stall by himself, he's a he's a prick. That horse is an asshole. I love him. God, he, I love him. And you know but what? If you see him going on and off a trailer, there's a hundred videos because whenever he shows up anywhere, they're filming him. He's a Same. kitten. Sane and sound coming in and off. And then once he gets off, oh, hold on. <laughs> and what I love about, we call him, like, he's he's full of piss and vinegar, and I love it. Yeah, I love Richie. But in all fairness, a three-year-old stud, no matter what discipline, no matter what breed, he is still extremely well-behaved. Yeah. Because yeah. if we look at the at just the opposite side of the spectrum where we have the warm bloods where a lot of people turn them out till they're four. Don't touch them. Try to get that horse on a trailer when it's 17 hands at four years old. Mm. So a good example of that is, yeah, a good example of that is quarter horses on a lot of operations. They will be, they will be turned out um, as weanlings. Um, They'll be turned out on range and then they will be collected as three-year-olds. How would you like to handle that? Because it's basically feral at that point. And then they turn them into really, really, really good horses, you know, in the, in the end, like, but that's, that's a big part of what people misconstrued with the thoroughbreds is that they're basically feral. Like in all fairness, they're pretty darn broke. Listen, I would rather, I would would rather take a straight off. I would, I would rather be in a round corral with rich strike. And I use him as an example because everybody out there has seen how big of a dick that horse is. I would rather be in a round corral and doing groundwork with Rich Strike than a BLM horse. Any day of the week and twice. Any on day of the week because you know what? Rich Strike's not going to go out of his way to try to kill you. Yeah. A BLM horse will. And that's no knock against Mustangs. I'm just saying that's that's an untouched feral horse. It will murder you. Without a second thought. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you're you're a two-legged predator with forward-facing eyes. That's all it knows. I feel like there is one horse in particular who is a thoroughbred, and 
who's an exception to that rule because um, the stories I've heard of this particular stallion, um, he literally broke through a six foot fence and attacked a trailer just because a mare was on it. And I think I know who you're talking about. Gone West? No. Gone West. Gone West. There's literally a sign on his pasture that you cannot come within 20 feet of his pasture because he will attempt to kill you. Nice. Yeah, he is. I like of, that, though. I like that at a horse. <laughs> he, I, I've had a couple of his babies, and they are absolutely fantastic when they have a job. If you let a Gone West baby get bored, yeah, it comes out. It comes out, and you better have health insurance. <laughs> he's he's so he's mentally a mini. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And actually, yeah, there was a for a while when I was in Wyoming, there was a Hall of Fame AQHA trainer who was moving his racehorse starting breeding operation and up to Wyoming. And I got to handle a quarter horse racing stallion. Um, who I was of in in the time that I knew that horse, I was one of two people to never be sent to the hospital by. Um, I just groomed him, I cleaned his stall, I basically just took care of him on the day to day basis. And it was me and the trainer's wife, who was a veterinarian. We were the only two people that ever handled that stallion who never once got sent to the hospital by him. And here's the funny thing. He would sit there and charge me. And I'd just stand there looking at him like, do you have a problem, bro? Mm-mm. He'd bite me and I'd shove a rubber curry in his mouth. I'm like, here's your pacifier. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, though, I thought you were, you were going to say mine that bird. That no. was another one. Cause I I don't, I've, I've always heard mine that bird was an ass. I can picture it, though. I, I, I can see that. It's always the winners, though. You want to know something funny? Like, just what you said, Ryan. Always the winners. So that is so normalized in the top <laughs> levels of the English world. Let's just, let's just talk about that. In the it's normalized in my world, too. Because it, So, Jesse, if you don't know, I, uh, I, um, I've trained a lot of kids and worked with a lot of horses for the NBHA, National Barrel Horse Association. And people normalize hot, stupid horses. And there's no need in it because, you know, I can take this little red 1D Corab I've got that's qualified for Worlds twice. She has no alley issues. She's not going to walk in there on two feet. She's going to be a little excited. The eyes are going to be a little wider because... She knows what's about to happen. I'm cool with that. Do not be okay with your horse walking on two damn legs through the alley. If you got to circle your horse more than once in the alley, that's alley issues. Yeah. Right. But, like, it's – and I don't want to say the mass, vast majority of horses are like this at the top levels because they're not, and we know they're not. But it's eh. normalized. It's normalized to the point where, like – yeah, but he jumps meter sixty clean. You're like, mm, mm, mm. I don't, I, I don't I, think that's a reason yeah, I, for him always to go strike back, at me. Yeah, well, I always go back to like, and I always use him for a reference because I love the man that, and he keeps horses sometimes here in Aiken. And that's Boyd Martin. And Boyd Martin will tell you he won't keep a crappy horse because he's scared to death of him. Yeah, and what a horseman that man is. Yeah, yeah. and he'll be the first to tell you. Yeah, I don't, I don't want nothing like that. I'm not, I don't want to get hurt. No. Which is. This man runs at solid objects that are taller than me. Like, let's. <laughs> he's, Boyd Martin is, just, and he's so. He, can we just stop and have a Boyd Martin appreciation moment? Absolutely. He is like absolutely. the coolest guy. Did you see him come out? I mean, he has completely Americanized, which is awesome. Like he yeah. come out at the three day, to do his little spiel and an American flag suit. 
he represents Team USA at the Olympics, and he's just like, America, you know? Yep. He really is. And when he won on Bruno at the Aiken um, eventing Grand Prix, like, I mean, just what a horseman. The story of that horse um, for the listeners. What a that, human. Can just, we just say that? Yeah. Just, he's, a, he's a great horseman, but he's a hell of a human being. He really is. Yeah. This man voluntarily runs at solid objects for a living and even this man who he will not deal with those kind of horses and the rest of the horse world is like ah no they win they win it's fine it's totally fine they can run me over they can strike me they can rear me rear on top of me what wait hasn't um i think boyd has a soft spot for thoroughbreds though very yes he does yes he does Oh, we see. I was supposed to go to three day uh, at the Kentucky Horse Park. It used to be the, used to be the, uh, used to be the Rolex. Sing us a Land Rover now, and it was going to yeah. be me, Jessman Rice, and Hannah Schroeder, and we were going to go. And then I had was already like Boyd Martin's going to be there. I'm going to fanboy, you know. Listen, yeah. me, you know, I'm the Western guy. You know, I train kids to do barrels. I have an interest in Western dressage. I am a complete fanboy when it comes to Boyd Martin because I appreciate horsemanship and I appreciate horsemen and he's just cool and he's got the accent and I just want to hear him say crikey or something, you know, I don't know, <laughs> but, but, you know, and I was so excited that last minute everybody backed out and I was like, you guys suck. I was so bad. I didn't get to see Boyd Martin. And then I realized Boyd was put up in one of the crappy barns out back. So I could have just rode past and been like, Boyd Martin. <laughs> and really, I could uh, probably see him at Publix and Aiken every once in a while, you know? You could just I drive mean, through Bridal Creek. Just drive through, yeah, I just drive through Bridal Creek and, uh, he's, you know, he'd be out, you know, walking his dog or something. That's you know, so cool about living in Aiken. Just like, you know, you never know. I could, it's nothing, you, you could be eating at like, uh, you know, Taco Sushi and Boyd and his wife sitting there eating, you know? They're at Dover. Sorry, I have to go off on a tangent because this was one of like the the Aiken stories. So I was working at um, Dover one of the days, and there was a lady that came in, and immediately I recognized her face, but I didn't know from where. But like it was like I could, I knew her from somewhere, but I didn't know who she was. And I asked her, her last name, and I cannot for the life of me remember. And the lady gets her stuff, leaves. Um, and one of the ladies that I work with, she goes, do you know who that is? And I was like, I'm so familiar with the face, but I don't know who she is. And turns out when I was not even 10 years old, I think I was like six or seven. Um, I had an old VHS tape of this Connemara stallion called Aaron Gobra. And he was an eventing pony. And I think he went up to four star. I mean, like very, very competitive. And I recognized her because she was the one that was riding him. And I was like, that is so cool to meet someone that I, this is story time for your viewers. Just a good laugh. Like as a six, seven year old kid with my giant stuffed animal horse, like pretending to ride the course with her. And I'm like watching this video and almost 20 years later, uh, actually 20 years later yeah i meet this woman in real life and i don't even have the common sense to have the vhs on me for her to sign just Aww. what a dud 
so like you know and that's and it's crazy about where we live and not to get on a tangent about how fortunate we are to live where we live and to be horse people you know you've got i and i always say it like this and people don't get it they're like no and i'm like you've got lexington you've got ocala and you've got aiken and really there's nowhere else like those three places if you're a horseman and you know and i use like uh you know boyd martin as an example and like the lady you were just talking about as an example and i give you another example everything that we know about sports medicine and horses we can owe it to one woman who literally wrote the book on sports medicine and horses and that's dr carol gillis graduate of uc davis She's a client of mine in Aiken now. Lives in Aiken. Has a nice little farm and a little practice now. You know, kind of slowed down. And she is the sports medicine practitioner for the Aiken training track. That That's what how she's spending her years now. Aiken is a magical place. And it's not overly expensive compared to, like, Ocala or Lexington. Yeah, comparatively. Comparatively, I mean, you know, you can still if you if you want to step out toward Wagner and Windsor and buy a hundred acres, you can still buy a hundred acres for you know eighteen hundred dollars an acre if you're lucky. It's going to be wooded, wooded, and yep, but yeah. you can, you absolutely, but, but can. you can, you can buy a you can buy a ready-made farm if you want a small farm, ten acres or less, less than five hundred thousand dollars if you know where to look around here. That's true. That's very much true, and it's almost turnkey. Yeah, it is. It is a turnkey operation. Um, Wait, why are we saying this? Why are we saying this? No, Aiken is full. It is super expensive. <laughs> Wait a second. There's no horses here. Everybody hates horses. And here, Flo, I thought that you were just letting him go on because you know that I don't know what's going to happen after Alaska. And... <laughs> like, wait a second. We do. These are secrets. Uh-huh. You know what? You know what? You know what you need to do. Have your husband what? put in for orders at Fort Gordon. He gets out next year. He gets out. Congratulations. Get that DD214 and run. Yeah, DD214 Mountain is in it is visible. Uh but the whole plan after that is to have our farm and help me with the horses and everything like that. So Come to, come to Aiken. The cost of living here. The cost of living here is so much cheaper and you cannot you cannot stop at a red light with somebody throwing a job application at you. That's very true. Like we are you, hiring if, at Dover right now. Yeah. If you can't find a job in Aiken, you know, at making fifty to sixty grand a year, you're just not looking. Oh yeah. I don't know when he gets out, he's looking at becoming a diesel mechanic or something like that. And I'm like, that well, you can anywhere. Guess what? We have a we have trucks and trailers uh, everywhere. Yeah, we <laughs> have. So here in the CSRA, the Central Savannah River area. We have Mac, we have Freightliner, we have Cat, we have Cummins. Look, guys, it's not me you need to convince. It's him. <laughs> It'll be him. We have, we'll work on him. We'll we, work have, on him. we have two seasons, hot and hotter. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> we, we have beaches that have warm water. <laughs> Granted, That's... it's like bathtub water, but it is warm. Yeah. And I can take him fishing. I have a center console. There we go. And you know what? I'll, I'll play video games with him. I'll come over, drink all your beer, and play yeah. video games with him. Plays with too, and that's and that's the funny thing. And, and he wants to start learning how to ride and everything like that. And I'm like, you better send him to a trainer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 
Unless oh, it... I'll tell you right now, it's one of the most frustrating things. When my husband was learning to canter, I was like, put your hands down. He's like cantering up here. And I was like, put your hands down and sit. And then he his shirt got caught on the back of the saddle and he sat real deep. I was like, that looks lovely. Look at so, that. So I got I to gotta tell. So I... um. I got a, a lady of mine I've known for years and uh, a, a friend and her and her husband reached out to me because they're having some, you know, truck problems. And apparently uh, nobody likes a redneck that you need a redneck. And um, she's like, hey, can you come over and take a look at my truck? Which reminds me, I need to call her anyway. So she has, every, you know, listen, I'm I'll be 40 next year. And she has my lesson horse from when I was younger is still alive and she has him and he's still doing good. He is an old, old man. His name is seven. He's a Missouri Fox trotter. Another breed that just has my heart, by the way, they're so overlooked. And so I don't, is he still rideable? And she goes, to be honest with you, she goes, yeah, she's not for very long, but yeah, and I was like, can I ride him? And she goes, for a few minutes? Yeah, you can ride him. So I'm going to go ride the horse that I learned to ride on like friggin' years ago. And he's still alive. I'm choking up thinking about that, by the way. You just made me think of my <sighs> my lesson pony. We all do that when we're at riding schools is my lesson pony, but truly... Uh, there, this you could take this pony to the shows, and he would be in the blues without even thinking twice. You try to ride him at home, no. I remember there's one day my instructor got on this pony and whipped the shit out of him, and he started to take a step. I would get on him, and he would be zoom. I remember when I was 16, I got a chance to go back home to New York, and he was there in the barn, and he was retiring next year, and like it will forever kill me to not know what happened to that pony. Because if I had a farm, you better believe that he would have been on a truck to Wyoming, and he would be fat and happy, and I would. And his name was Finster, but we all called him Devil Pony. <laughs> which was, very was he gray? No, he was he was dark bay. This dark bay with a big old blaze. I mean, this like 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 killed. liver bay or like seal bay. Oh shit! Like, like mule bay or white socks, and <laughs> I mean this pony was so flashy. Like he, if you took, he went to Devon. He went to the pony finals. Like he went everywhere, won everything, and he did it just by sheer spite. I swear to God. <laughs> I bet, I bet seven probably trained 150, 200 kids to ride. That's how busy this little barn was over over his life. Those and he was do what? I said those are the special horses. And he was he was kind of an asshole. Like he was your he was the horse that once you got basic, you know, horsemanship kind of down, you got put on him. And he'd kind of <laughs> throw that head a little bit. You had to squeeze him a little extra harder. And if you didn't give him inside leg when you turned that head, he would just take his. He would just bite your foot. <laughs> and he was that kind of horse, and I fell in love with him because he was the first horse I ever showed on. It was a it was a fun show at the barn, and me and him come in like dead last in our class. But but we had what I thought was a good barrel time at the time, you know, and I was so stuck. And that started my whole love for the barrel industry. Was that? 
plucky Missouri Foxtrot. And I learned, I and I had American Saddlebred at the time. And uh, another breed I love the history of, but I really don't have personal use for. You know, I mean, I think they're gorgeous. I don't really have, doesn't really fit with what I do nowadays. Now, if I found one in bad shape and I had room, I'd definitely take one in because I have a soft spot for the breed. With that said, I'm not actively looking for ever to own another American Saddlebred. I'd take another Fox Trotter in a heartbeat. But, yeah, just like, just, I can remember, oh God, I just, I can just hear my old instructor just like yelling. You ever had that happen? Just have a moment where you're just like, ugh. Oh my goodness. When I was, I guess it's like a shrill that just went through my brain. When I was a junior, I just remember sometimes, like, when I was, I was doing the Big Eck and, there were times where I'd go into the ring and I was same height I am now on a 17-2 Oldenburg gelding. And I just remember this one time I stepped into the right. open hunters. Can, can I stop you right there? Yeah. What was it really? It was, you said Oldenburg. So, I mean, I'm just assuming it was, that it was everything but an Oldenburg. It was half thoroughbred, <laughs> half... I'm good. I'm telling you, I'm yeah, good. No, he, he was a registered Oldenburg. Anything could be an old. I could be registered as an Oldenburg. So it was the open hunters and like open three foot hunters. We had no prospect of me winning, right? Because you had big names showing in yeah. this division, right? And um, I solidified that not winning by going <laughs> into the arena picking up the wrong lead and I could hear my trainer go, God damn it, Flo, you're on the wrong lead <laughs> across the arena. And, and now I have a love for the hunter ring. I, you know, I, I still got to get with you one day. I, I just want, I want to jump. I don't want to pursue jumping as a sport for me. Again, I'm getting older. Western dressage is where I want to live these days. And teaching kids to chase cans because apparently I'm kind of good at it. I don't know how because I personally was not good at it competing. But apparently I could train a kid to just go to Worlds every year. Those who can't do, teach. (laughs) You're goddamn right, they do. (laughs) Apparently, you know, I just, like, every kid that's ever come through my little dink program that I set up, it's always like, you know, you were the best instructor I ever had. Oh, my God, if it wasn't for you. And I'm like, you realize who you're talking to? The guy who literally accomplished nothing. I have one buckle, and it's a novice amateur buckle. I have some qualifier buckles, but qualifying doesn't mean you won anything. It just means you qualified to attempt it. <laughs> Listen, whenever I post that, like, I won a class, I don't tell people how many were in the class. I don't tell people what kind of company I was in. All that matters is that 25-cent ribbon I cried about. Listen, I have, I have, and, like, I'm a male Western rider, and I've kept every ribbon from when I was younger. And they're all on a string in my daughter's room, just like over her bed. I have with, my... with her peewee ribbons. Oh, I have my very first ribbon. I came in dead last. So it is a brown. I have a brown ribbon, too. <laughs> ribbon. And I remember when that class ended and they announced it and they passed me that ribbon, the girl who came ahead of me 
was in tears and I screamed and high-fived my parents and said, there's nowhere for me to go but up. I remember I come, I got a brown ribbon one time with my saddle bread and I was all choked up and I hung it on his halter. And I was like, you, and I was just talking to him. I was like, you did this, buddy. Look, buddy, you got a ribbon. And then the asshole spooked at it. So I'm I'm like all choked up because I got a ribbon and I'm trying to catch my fucking horse. Y'all at the show that we did at Highfields, um, the young lady that catch road for me, she got fourth in the Derby. And can can we just appreciate how gorgeous Highfields is? My God, yeah, seventy four acres of just ah. Flo, what are you doing Sunday? Other than coming to pick up your trailer. Riding, trying to get through all four horses oh, without we're go- having a mental break. Oh, uh, okay. We're 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 having adult beverages and hacking in Windsor. I don't know. I'm, you know, since I'm starting dressage, I call it hacking now. Oh, yes. Mm, we're yes. going hacking. <laughs> we do need to get you some breeches and a vest. No, that's not happening. <laughs> uh, I will I'm be. I will be riding so a, much money. I will be riding a thirteen-hand, uh, Welsh cross for this hack and then my daughter will be riding her new pony i was like i'll just bring my pony my 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 potato mare and then i was like no potato mare might eat the little pony on the way home because i have a stock trailer i don't have dividers you know because that's how i roll and uh you know you just you just tie them to the wall of it and go good luck and close the door there you go yeah but um well, you know, I have cows and shit, so, and I'm poor, so it's like, you know, you, you gotta pick, you gotta pick. And then I was like, you know, I was like, shit, I'll just use Flo's trailer. Flo's coming to get her trailer. But, um... If I could find a trailer that fit Donald um, for a remotely reasonable price, because um, I found a ton, you know, I found, I can find the trailer, it's finding it for a remotely reasonable um, price. But if you ever need to use a trailer, I have a good friend of mine. Now it's a stock, so you'd have to tie him to the wall of it. Donald doesn't care. Okay. Um, it's like a 10-foot tall trailer. See, another racehorse for the win. Donald, 18 hands, do not want to teach him to be cool in a trailer. <laughs> Already done. Already done. Already done. It's over. He ducks even. If it's too short, he'll duck. He doesn't care. He's awesome. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. <sighs> Donald yeah, just seems like the sweetest of boys. All right. High fields. Continue. I'm sorry. So the young lady, um, she had an amazing handy round that put her into fourth place. And um, they handed out the ribbons and we were all ecstatic. It was Tart's first ever derby. Um, and it was this girl's second derby, but her first derby, she said she had didn't have a really good experience. Um, so she was just ecstatic. And I was so happy for her. I was like crying. I'm like so happy. So when it was time for the victory gallop, Tart goes in fourth. They put the ribbon on her bridle and Tart lights up like a firecracker. She's like, I did this. You could just see in this mare's eyes. She's like, I am boss. I am queen. She is surrounded by horses between 16-2 and 17-2. She is 15-1 and typey thoroughbred mare. I mean, really refined face. But but that's a good size, though. Perfect. It was 2-6 derby. She was jumping it like it was 3-6. It was stunning so we're talking we're talking like we're talking feet and chest nose and knees i mean 
beautiful bascule. Can, I, can, I got to tell you, so I had a registered, I'm talking well-bred American painting horse. And she was the stolen horse, for those that know about her. If there was a stick in the trail, and we were just trail riding, she'd jump it like it was a meter 60 row. Love it. You would. It I scared the ever-loving crap out of me. <laughs> because you had a she horn would... to hold on to. What? Why are you scared? No, 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 no. The horn is not a handle, ladies. It is not a handle. Well, okay, I take that back. In the NBHA, it's definitely a freaking I was about handle. to say, not the way I ride. <laughs> because I want to... Because, like you said, you would teach me to jump, and I would teach you to turn cans. Oh, 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 so the day that I come down, Flo can bring an English saddle, get on one of your barrel horses, and I'll run a pattern, because I cannot ride in a western saddle anymore, but I have literally laid down a 16-2, a 16-second, 20-second barrel round in my close contact saddle. But you gotta, you gotta tell me, you gotta tell me what size pattern that is, because seconds don't tell me anything. It was a full-size pattern. It was a full, like, I think it was a 60-foot pattern. That's a small pattern. Is it the small pattern? Small pattern. Okay. Well, my horse also attempted to jump one of the barrels. Because <laughs> we're, we're running, like, 90 feet here. Okay. Between one and two? Huh? You're talking about between one and two? First barrel and second barrel? Yeah. Yeah. We run, like, 90 feet. Okay. Well... Okay. No, I'm wrong. I was, I've drank a lot of Coors. I don't know if you've noticed this. I could be wrong. Maybe 70 feet. I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like the like NFR pattern is. 80, but 90. okay, so there's not okay. So one thing, and let me great teaching. The size of the arena comparative to the barrels. Yeah. So actually, no. It's the arena that dictates the pattern. There is a minimum size. Yeah. That's it. The the arena actually dictates the size of the of the pattern. So yeah. like when somebody says, "Whoa, well, my mare runs a 15. Well, that actually doesn't tell me anything because yeah. it really depends on the pattern. Because you can have a 1D time at a 16 or even a 17, depending on, on the size of the pattern. Yeah. Uh, now that's NBHA. Now I don't. I'm a male, so I don't get to run professional rodeo, so I don't know what their rules are. I, I looked at them at one point for one of the kids that were running with me, but um. But when Flo was talking about size of classes, I can't wait till I'm like considered a senior, so I can run senior class. I'll start showing again because there's like four of them. You can show in the rusty stirrup for the um, hunter classes. Ooh, what's that? I was gonna say the, the, two the foot. silver stirrup. Uh, is, is it two foot? It's two foot for oh. rusty stirrup or two three something somewhere I, around there. I can, I can handle that because hell my, I'm telling you, I'm I'm telling you my paint. All right, so, all right, you know in Hitchcock, there's a little spot in Hitch Oh, you've never been to Hitchcock, have you, Flo? I have not. The story is moot. <laughs> anyway, there's a little part on the trail where there you duck down, and it's this tiny little stream. Not the creek that everybody takes their horses to play in. I'm sure you've seen pictures. There's this part where this is like a drainage ditch. Everybody's normal sane horse just walks right through it. Mine jumped four feet in the damn air from bank to bank. You've got a fox hunter. That's what she, you've got. Well, somebody else has got her now because apparently they liked her more than me. <laughs> oh. I that loved her. She was so soft, so supple. Dude, spin on her hocks like a reigning horse, and 
in fact, some they were using her. Um, you could actually collect her and ride her English Sport because the people that had leased her before I bought her, that's what they were doing with her. Now she was super flashy because she was um, she was an Avero paint. I think she was Avero. You've seen? Have you seen pictures of her? I have not. You know, I'm supposed to be like the horse daddy. I got to go look up the difference between Avera and Tobiano. Tobiano actually will touch the top of the spine and go over the body, whereas Overo only will if it's like a max pattern. It's more like splotches across the body. Okay, she was, she was, she was Overo. God, dog it, I was right the first time. Horse daddy for the win. <laughs> and hey, I'm not just a thoroughbred expert. I am a. I, I won't call myself a oh. genetic. Oh, we're we're throwing we're throwing the e word out there. Oh, you hear I, that, Flo? We're doing it. We're doing it. Expert. I I've been studying thoroughbreds since I was four. I think you know, twenty three years under my belt. I can say. And somebody has said that. Well, since you're a quarter horse expert, tell me about my horse. I'm like, listen, bro, it don't work that way. No. I gotta be honest though. If someone sent me a horse's pedigree and it's a thoroughbred, I'll tell them about their horse. They're not gonna like yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> I, I will too. Like uh, I did a live one time on TikTok, and everybody goes, somebody started to send in, started the trend of sending their horses in, and then I'd start looking at live on air, and I was like, so do you, do you want the the Disney version of this, or do you want me to really tell you about your horse? And like, oh, tell me about your horse. I had people unfollow. I mean, I'm sorry. If your horse is, is turd bred, I'm going to tell you your horse is turd bred. Yeah. You asked for it. My fav- my the question I hate the most is, well, what do you consider a good sport line in thoroughbred? Because no one ever likes my answers because I don't. I'm not a massive American bred thoroughbred fan. Like, if I don't see a little bit of foreign in there, I'm going to pass up. So when I just see. American, 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 American. I'm like, I can tell you, I can tell you what your horse looks like. They have withers like the Empire State Building. Their legs are too fixed. Their ass is the size of a three, uh, 3,500 ram, and they're built downhill like a water slide. Hold on, are we talking quarter horses or are we talking thoroughbreds? Thoroughbreds. Oh, you just, you just described every quarter horse I love. That's why I'm not a massive fan of the American breeding industry for thoroughbreds right now. I'm I love thoroughbred. I understand that I would not have these horses without the industry. I'm just saying the trends I, I've seen in horses over the last. Oh, I oh, always oh. tell people. I always tell people. You know what makes an American quarter horse better? When you throw thoroughbred and Arab at it. Yep. When you make a quarab or you make an appendix. I'm sorry. I, I've just stepped on a bunch of toes right there, but I've pissed off so many quarter horse people because they're like, yeah, my, my quarter horse is so great. My horse is so fantastic. I'm like, yeah, it's because it's half thoroughbred. I mean, you know, I say uh, about warm bloods. Yeah. (laughs) I saw, I saw, so I got to talk about this. I've got to talk about this and you guys might know what I'm talking about. Then again, you might not. So I, I was reading, I, I do horse history, so I read a lot of articles. And so this article popped up, and I was thumbing through it, and it said Native American horse breeds. And the one at the top was the American Quarter Horse. I go, huh? The math ain't mathin'. The math oh. is not math. And I'm like, Janus was a Native American horse? And, uh, and, uh, and, but they, and they used it because, you know, the American Quarter Horse, 
the you know so there were some spanish horses that were being bred uh colonists were using them they're small little punchy little horses janus comes in the country the thoroughbred and they breed them with you know with janus and they get these little quick you know horses over short distances and then eventually that horse gets down into uh the carolinas south georgia florida comes in contact with the cracker horses that you know yeah the the creek chickasaw uh and a few other tribes were breeding but also whites were breeding as well um and those god i'm trying to say this without being like completely unsensitive but those are not exactly at that time period what i would call completely indigenous tribes because they were all business people wearing suit and ties like seriously at that point in time in history and i'm like that's the american quarter horse is not a native now if they had said like appaloosa and i would argue that and the reason i would argue that is because the appaloosa is not the nez Pierce horse right now yeah. nakota all day long yes yes but the Nez Pierce horse and the Appaloosa that you see today are not remotely the same horse. Right. Well, Just because it's got fun- spots on the butt does not mean it's the same horse. You know where the Appaloosa pattern actually originates from, right? Um, Spanish horses. Broke breeds, yep. Yeah. There's actually a breed of Andalusian that are a, a subbreed of Andalusian, a subline that still carries Appaloosa patterns. And I mean, it's kind of looked down upon, but... Yeah, no, Appaloosa Listen, with, with the Spanish I'll be, horse. I'll be the first to tell you. I I like taking so I'm not I'm not a cult starter. Like I'm I'm not I'm not your guy. Um I like taking grandma's horse and tuning it up after it's had a few years so she can take the grandkids for a ride. Mm-hmm. I'm not a horse trainer. So I, I don't really now like when like <laughs> Jess got mad at me one time because she heard me say that to somebody. Uh, cause somebody asked, well, you know, what I did with horses. And I was like, well, you know, I train a little bit and, uh, she, I thought you weren't a horse trainer. And I'm like, well, they don't know the difference, you know? So how do I explain it? You know what I mean? So anyway, long story short, um, yeah, that, that's what I like to do. Um, don't bring me an Appaloosa. I don't want it. I, I, I don't want to deal with it. If it's a problem, Appaloosa. No, yeah. I don't want it. I don't want to get bit. It sucks. I did the joke bit of like if horse breed, if horse breeds were dog breeds, and I specifically use. I love that series, by the way. Not because fantastic, of, because of the spots. But people don't realize there's a really bad aggression problem being bred into Dalmatians. Yeah. And that's it's why spots. I was like, oh my god. So, so <laughs> I, have you seen my series? I call it I call it Barn Pals. And it's 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 all the horses where I put my mouth on them, you know. And yes, talk. yes, yes. I love. So that. I, 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 need, need, I need, call it "Where's the nose?" Yeah, where's the? <laughs> no- Everybody's playing the game. Where's the nose? Because I'm horrible at editing, uh, editing that. Because like halfway through it, like you're trying to move the face around because all the pictures are different. I can't change the pictures now because everybody loves those characters. Uh, so I have to shriek it. It, it, it. It's a nightmare. I'm gonna tell you, it's a nightmare to make those videos. Um. Appy is like my favorite character just because I made him he's like a dopey childlike character. Yeah. But every Appaloosa I've ever been around has been like a dopey child. Now, 
Appaloosa people, hear me out. If you have a very well-bred Appaloosa, it's they're, a one. They're, oh, they're stellar. Wonderful. It's a yeah. one-person horse. It will die for you. Mm-hmm. It will give most quarter horses a run for its money and short distance speed. It will rock crush all day. They're great. But for every one of those, there's like 10 that was a spread for spots. Yeah. And they're like the character of Appy. Color breeding gone wild. Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. But I mean, we see it. We see it rampant. We see it with sport horses. We see it everywhere. We see it with quarter horses. We see it with Andalusians and we see it with Lusitanos because everybody knows gray. Is where it's at with those breeds. We see it with as we see it with Aztecas. Mm-hmm. Cremelo Aztecas. You know, I I've Lucky. always always wanted an Azteca until I talked to a vet. I, that I Flo knows and said, "Who owns one?" And she's like, "Don't don't get one." And I was like, "Why?" She goes, "Because they literally bring out the worst traits of both breeds." And I'm sorry, Azteca people. If you have an Azteca and it's perfect, then awesome. But like. Every Azteca I've met locally, it's got Cushing's. It's got something else genetically wrong with it. it it's confirmation. Just looks like, ugh. And they're all gray. How is that a thing? How can they all be gray? When, with saying that they're gray, I can guarantee you they have melanoma at some point in their life. I got to worry about that with this new pony because it's got a pink ass nose. That's actually the exact reason I won't buy a gray horse now. Hush. Uh, apparently, I own a gray horse now. I will say it's become a problem in the thoroughbred industry, too. There's um, a couple Overo thoroughbreds. Nothing but bet say, on gray horses. I refuse to recognize colorbred thoroughbreds. I, I understand thoroughbreds actually have some really weird genetics with the W20 gene, which right. is the white elephant gene. Um, they have some really funky genetics in there. When I see Palomino, Cremello, the all the sub genes of freaking thoroughbred out there that I know something, for a fact, yeah, color give me yeah. a bay, no. and let's call it a day. Exactly. If you want to see that many different genes on your horse's genetic chart, just register it as a quarter horse. Here's so my I will thing. say that there is there is a breeder in Florida that bred chart. Um, they had a um, Palomino thoroughbred and jockey club name is Sam Surfer Chick. And oh. if I would suggest they're on Facebook, um, I would look them up because this was the most stunning horse I've ever seen. And not because of the color, the confirmation was just chef's kiss. I mean, beautiful. Like, are we talking like Frenchman's guy, like Palomino confirmation, like stellar, like stellar, like color aside, I wanted this horse sounds familiar i will definitely go ahead and check it and check it out but yeah no i i'm a, i'm a bit of a thoroughbred snob that way because I, it's just like i said with the american breeding industry doing what they've already done adding color breeding into it i'm just like y'all look at look at the color bred quarter horse and i mean no disrespect i do love me a quarter horse but it's just it's no, not no i mean it's it it's it's easy to like a quarter horse i think most people out there no matter what their breed of choice is can admit that for all around horse you can't really beat a quarter horse all around purpose horse um there's really not now i'm not gonna say it's gonna excel at everything it touches but 
a kid in pony club with a smaller quarter horse uh somebody who wants to jump two feet uh somebody wants to do western dressage or even english dressage for that matter uh western pleasure raining cutting ranch work pleasure riding i mean endurance i mean the, the the quarter the quarter horse i mean there's a reason why it's the number one horse in the world it's not because it's a crappy horse no no not at all now the marketing has been really good for the AQHA. I mean, I gotta give them that. You know, it's like Harley Davidson. It might not be the best at everything, but by God, you know, you're a quarter horse person now. Well, we'll, we'll say you a T-shirt. If you want to look up the one quarter horse I had, he he sadly passed away. He was six years old. Ended up getting um, really bad pneumonia, and it was to the point where he would not have a decent quality of life. So we made the the hard choice to let him pass. Um, but Sugar Ray Jose, that was a sugar bar bread quarter horse. That was Ooh. Yeah, I knew I knew where that was going. Uh but that was the little quarter horse I started by myself when I was thirteen. And I I absolutely loved that horse. That horse would jump the moon for me. And I remember um the stall he was at he was in when we were at our farm was an old birthing stall. So it had it was a western barn. They had runs and the stall. What they would do is they'd close him into one of the runs and run uh, cows, run steer through his stall to get to the roping area of the barn. And I would see that little that little 14-1 cow pony trying to cut cows through the bars of the runs. And he was an absolutely cool-ass little dude. I did a lot of yeah. liberty work with him, uh, too, because he ended up having a – before he got pneumonia, he had a – he had a minor bone chip but me being a teenager freaked the fuck out about it and was like i'm never gonna him again oh my god but no i but here's the thing too i love my core horses i understand that they are extremely versatile but this is where i am a thoroughbred girl no listen and there's nothing wrong with that because i will and it's the same way and people ask me like why are you so high on morgans and missouri fox trotters for the same reasons it's for the same reason because i think they're underappreciated yeah. Uh, there's a, I, I want to touch down on this. There is a program in South Dakota that literally takes off track thoroughbreds, just like me and you, flow, and makes them ranch horses. And I mean, I've seen those horses two weeks on the ranch, just turned loose in a, in a pen full of cows, cutting them like any, any cutter that's winning buckles and winning, and winning yeah. shows. They are, you want a versatile breed. They, and, but here's the thing I realized with thoroughbreds too is they are not for everyone. Quarter horses yeah. definitely have no. thoroughbreds there because the thoroughbred requires a certain person, and damn near anyone with two brain cells to rub together can can make make a quarter horse live and, and ride a quarter horse. A, a well-bred quarter horse. Yeah. I, and I I won't argue that. And I'll also and I'll say the same thing too. And the same thing goes for Morgans. If you're gonna throw your um your average training practice and think you're going to get the the same result that you would with a quarter horse at, um, and think you're going to get the same thing with a Morgan. It's not going to work. The, the Morgan um, is a lot more refined of a horse. Yeah. There's a reason the Morgan was added to the American Saddlebred. There's a reason the Morgan was added to the American Quarter Horse. There's a reason the Morgan was added to a lot of standees. Oh, yeah. It was and, to refine, and the standee is another underappreciated breed. Absolutely, like I have here, to say, here in the I south, had, standees have like 
and flow. I don't know if you've noticed here in the South, the standee has kind of um, a negative connotation. I've noticed. I so I worked at the standard bread track for a little bit, um, and that gave me a new appreciation. Um, it's it's almost as and I'll be honest with you, it's almost racist the connotation that they get. See, being being a Yankee, I, I'll call myself out. Being a Yankee, where I grew up. Everyone and their grandmother had a story about when they owned standard breads and they raised standard breads. Like I, I grew up on Long Island, New York. Literally the first job I had with horses, I was a volunteer at a at a what you call it, therapeutic riding facility. And there were old there were old trotter carts up in that barn gathering yeah. dust. Like the standy to us is just as bread and butter as the quarter horse was yeah. uh, out west. And and down They're here, fantastic horses. They they really are. And and down here, like um, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, "I want on a standard bread." I'm like, "Why would you want a standard bread?" Oh, that's black people's horse. I've heard that from quite a few horse yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, huh. and and granted, you see a a lot of people of color with standard breads. Like, so what? You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that they're not a cool horse. They're a fantastic horse. They're a fantastic horse. And and honestly, they share a lot of traits with the off-the-track thoroughbred. Yep, they do. They really do. And, and I'll I, be honest, so can, can I just like throw this out there? I've been following like some a, a harness racing TikToks of a photographer that uh, those jockeys – I don't know. Are they jockeys? Do you call them jockeys in harness they are. racing? You want to know something cool? What's that? So standard bread racing, the only racing sport where you can not only own and train your own horses, but you can jockey your own horses too. Yeah. You know what I love about it? Is it's almost an even playing field. It is. And it they is, allow AI. It's, it's it's like NASCAR for horses. Like it's it's all about strategy. Yeah. There was a story years ago um, of this little, of this, I want to say like 13 year old girl who did exactly that. She bred this horse. She did, and she, she ended up breeding a, a like a multi million dollar winner. Yeah. And it was a little girl who happened to find a mare and breed it. And it was like just total, I mean, it was secretariat level roll of the dice. And it was just like, oh my God. But that's what standard breads are. And I, 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 have heard them affectionately uh, very affectionately referred to as the poor man's thoroughbred for exactly that reason because yeah, they are yeah. into the racing industry when you can't afford a fifty thousand dollar stud well and i think that's why they have such a connotation in a lot of areas and like and i've heard them referred to as poor man's gated horse and this that and the other and i think that's why they have such a connotation around here is oh you know that's black folks have that you know, and I think a lot of that revolves around is that a lot of times when they come up for sale around here, they're cheap. Which, and I have no idea why it is. So these horses, they're not being ridden, but they're being worked. And mm -hmm. I honestly don't know any of my horses, any of my off the track thoroughbreds that would be remotely okay at two years old pulling a sulky. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know any of my horses, maybe Tart, would have the brain capacity to not kill themselves and the person in that cart to do that. It is amazing the, the what cart, kind of brain these horses have. Not only that, but like the cart jockey is like a special breed of human. 
Yeah. Those guys are, they are, first of all, they're like straight alpha bros. I mean, like most jockeys, you know, most of those guys, a lot of jockeys that are at the higher level, they're very wealthy people. They're very refined people. Yeah. Heart racers? Nah, man. They're drinking, they're drinking bush lattes, smoking Marlboro Reds, you know, pulling. <laughs> and they are, the gentlemen. Um, Their wife's got an OnlyFans. They don't care, you know. <laughs> the people at the track here in Aiken, they are some of the kindest people I had ever met. Um, yeah. They're I told super down to earth people. Very, and they were so. There was one time, uh, one of the Phillies got loose, and. Uh, they all have studs there, right? Because it's a racing barn. And I just grabbed a lead rope and I caught her. And the gentleman's like, you caught her? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just grabbed her. And they're <laughs> like, this mare busted through a fence to get back to the barn. Because they're like, we're trying to uh, get her started. And I was like, I don't think she wants to be started. I don't... <laughs> Call me crazy. But anyway, like they were just so kind. They didn't, like hunter jumper people, if sometimes you catch a loose horse and they're like get your hands off my horse but these people were just genuinely thankful that i just grabbed their horse even though they had no idea who i was they didn't they didn't know anything about me i had been working for the gentleman on the track for like three weeks at that time and they were just so happy that i just walked up caught their horse when a lot of people in the horse industry would be angry about it and they're and they're gorgeous built little horses too they're they're beautifully built little horses and there is a reason here we go full circle in the 1920s the american quarter horse what would become the american quarter horse get a healthy dose of arab and standy for stamina and speed (sighs) sorry quarter horse people they the quarter horse history guy just hurt your feelings again. Standies are just amazing horses, and honestly, they move beautifully. But, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that why the American quarter horse is such an all-around breed. Mm-hmm. Is it got Morgan, it got Standy, it got Arab, it gets a heavy dose of thoroughbred. What would be awesome, you know, we were talking about thoroughbred breeding, and not 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 to circle back, but wouldn't it be awesome if the jockey club allowed quarter horses the way that the AQHA allows thoroughbreds to see to see a dash for cash or Corona cartel type horse? Talk about in, a sprinter infused for short tracks. Imagine that. Imagine a turf filly that could go back to like corona cartel or dash for cash or or jet deck you would have the thoroughbred people would be up in arms first of all how dare you you paint our lines first of all i'll be honest with you that horse could fall off halfway through the race but would still be 30 lengths ahead of everybody oh yeah yeah that i honestly i don't think um I don't think it'd be a good idea just because the sheer um, speed of the quarter horse. I think people in the thoroughbred industry would take such huge advantage of that that you would oh, see yeah. a lot more breakdowns. 
but yeah, you would. The you know, I, and as one thing, like we can, we can, we can, t- we can talk and shoot the breeze all we want. But there's that's one thing we can say about the quarter horse is um, short distance out the gate. There's nothing that can touch, especially a racing quarter horse. There's yeah, nothing that there's can nothing. touch that. There's nothing on the planet. And I was just gonna say, I was just, uh, I just want to interject. That's my concussion acting up there. Um, <laughs> we all have TBIs here. It's okay. Yes. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> exactly. I, I am in good company. No, but there isn't really that big of an emphasis on sprint anymore in the thoroughbred or racing industry in general if you're not looking at quarter horse racing in in particular well even quarter horse racing is getting longer yeah well again you keep letting them breed with thoroughbreds the only thing you're gonna get is a thoroughbred i love it i'm here for it like i'm like i am you know and everybody looks at me as you know you're the western guy what is it up with you these arabs and morgans and thoroughbreds i'm like i appreciate good breeding you know, that's and uh, I don't consider that's why I don't consider gated Morgans Morgans. I don't consider <laughs> government Morgans Morgans, and I don't consider anything that's not bay or sorrel a Morgan. I I am with you there. But it's also why like as a thoroughbred person, I know that there really isn't a lot of breeding and, and again I look at the thoroughbred as a whole with French and German thoroughbreds. If mm-hmm. you look at those thoroughbreds, they are as Thick and heavy built. They are literal brick houses as foundation quarter horses. You look at them, you're like, are you sure its mother isn't part draft? Well, like, even if you look at some of the thoroughbreds in, like, Japan, Australia, yes. New Zealand. Yes, different. Amazing. Oh, my God. Just winks and black caviar. Yes. Black caviar. Yes. and black caviar. So, winks actually broke black caviar's record for yes. um, most grade one wins consecutively um she did retire she's a broodmare now but winks just talk about just an all-around machine of a sport horse she's not big she didn't have a crazy big stride she didn't even have a really good career at the start of her career but her one she was extremely well trained but two her confirmation was extremely functional and soundness above all because she was on turf. Yep. Yeah. Because she was on turf. She beat all the boys multiple times. She was on turf. Can we and... just Yeah, can we just stop and appreciate turf fillies? Because well, turf fillies are completely underrated. What monster <laughs> machines they are. You know, if we keep going, I can get two episodes out of this. <laughs> I mean, it's up to you there guys. You go. There you go. I'm into the conversation. If anybody's tired, let me know now. I I'm good to keep going if you guys are. Yeah. yeah we might get three shit. So like. I'm not editing this. This is just gonna be raw. Beautiful. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna step away for a second so you guys just keep going. So okay, I'm I'm gonna gush about my turf breads and specifically my South African breads for a minute. Yeah. Like okay, you have the Irish thoroughbred and then their Grand National Grand Prix and I and Great Britain and everything like that. And are those horses monsters? Absolutely. Oh yeah. But South African bred thoroughbreds. Their triple crown is close to I think like one of the races is close to three miles. It's insane. It's absolutely it is insane. Literal insanity. And 
I, 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 me and you were talking before the show and I was telling you about bloodlines that I would absolutely, like I, if I find, I would sell my car for, I would sell an organ for my horse's sire, horse chestnut, South Africa. You can look him up right now. You will see he looks, my horse looks exactly like him, just bay instead of chestnut. And the few other foals of his that I have seen are absolute machines. They have draft sized dinner uh, dinner plate feet. They have the most even tempered heads. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> you looked at him, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that is a horse that I would kill myself for. He he was the South African Triple Crown winner, and he you want to talk about turf bread, South Africa and South Africans, uh, South Africa's breeding program in general for thoroughbreds. This is, so I'm looking at him right now. Um, just to start off his sire, Fort Wood. He's got a direct line to Nearco. Yup. On yep. Nearco. He's got Nearco. He's got Hail to Reason. He's got Endeavor. Um, that's all on top. Oh, War Admiral. I mean, my God. Um, that's I'm, all I'm sold. So I, when I was at, so for those that have never been to the, um, horse museum at Lexington, Kentucky at the Kentucky horse park, they've got a lot of war animal stuff in there. He's, he's at Nerco three times. I almost touched secretariat's halter. God. You got, have you ever been? I've never been. Flo, you've never been? Okay, the next time, Jesse, that you're near this way. Yeah. Let's just all road trip to Kentucky. We can meet Jess Rice up there because she's not but two hours from there. You would love her. She is awesome. I'm pretty sure I'm following her on TikTok. I think we're mutuals, so yeah. Yeah, she she took a video of my butt one time at Road to the Horse going into (laughs) that museum. Um, That is – all right, so – and I'm a history guy. Yep. And – um, I worked in the museum system for a while and realized there's no money there. Yeah, uh, I'm shocked. Yeah, you're shocked. But the, the the thing is, is I can appreciate a good museum. Yes. That's one of the best museums I've ever, of any type I have ever been to in my life. Like, just the Arab gallery. I don't give a damn if you give a crap about Arabs or not. You'll be captivated by just the Arab gallery. You will, I, I, like you will find the one picture that me and Jess found is like the most roach back little horse you've ever seen ever. <laughs> it was like taken there, like I don't know, like, it's like a picture taken there in the 1800s. It's like the most roachy little horse. We fell in love with it. We even gave the horse a little name. And then they have these stations, like all the way through, they have real horse hair, horse tails, yeah. like so kids can like breed it and play with it. I mm-hmm. lost Jess completely. <laughs> she, she, she'd just go over there and start. And then the American Saddlebred Museum is there. So I, you know, so I'm like, let's go to the American Saddlebred Museum. Not, she was not interested. I'm like, ooh, and, and on because, you okay. know, I, I'm, I'm seeing horses that I know. She's like, eh. They all look like giraffes. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Honestly, I have gotten such an appreciation for the American Saddlebred because of Susan. Susan's a great advocate for that breed. I mean, and so is Donald. Yes. I mean, just the sheer beauty of 
one, the amount of skill, like I can appreciate the amount of skill it takes to ride in a double bridle. That alone is so incredibly impressive to me. And these girls that are riding, I can tell they're they're working up there. They're not yes. just sitting, but man, do they just they look like they're floating. And I mean it's just wow. an elegant horse. And like and there's no wow. there's no filler there. There's no it's not like gosh, I hate to say it, and I'm sorry to see Walker people. There's no there's no added there's no addition there on the American right. Saddlebred. It's just all saddlebred. And don't get me wrong, I, I do love Tennessee walking. I, like, I do too. I do. I think, Park I think, pleasure is just ah. Oh, yes, and oh. I'll be honest with you, they are super sane, super intelligent. Most of the time, super easygoing horses. And yeah. I always tell people, if you're just looking for a pleasure horse, you cannot go wrong with a middle-aged Tennessee Walker that's been there and done that. I will yeah. say though, their their canner is a washing machine. Just... I, no, don't even attempt it. There was um. A Frisian Tennessee Walker cross that I was training for a little bit. The it's, trot, it's the, it's the, the trot was part. beautiful. The <laughs> trot was beautiful. My God, the walk, you just oh, beautiful. That canner, my God, I did teach this thing to jump. By God, I taught nice. this thing to jump and sweet like horse. Red in for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I just, I just noticed something, and not to like toot my own horn, but I just noticed something tonight. You know, I, I had the beard. I got rid of the beard, did the mustache and the soul patch, you know. Then I went just kind of five o'clock shadow, you know, rough, gruff. I, for my entire life, I have been very self-conscious about my teeth. Because I, I, well, you know, I have very, yeah, I know. I have very crooked teeth. I have smiled so much tonight on camera, and this is going on YouTube. And like, I, I just, like, I've just. Like, I don't care anymore, you know? Like, I think I've reached the point in, like, my social media career where I'm like, take me. Take me as I am or just let me go. If you can't handle the fact 100%. that... If you can't handle the fact that horse daddy has crooked teeth, then, you know. I should have never, ever said that in a video because now every time I get a message, hey, horse daddy, I got a question. I had crooked tooth once. You had a crooked tooth? Hey, I've got to well, go my to... my horse has fixed that. Are you working tomorrow? I am not. Uh, Tuesday. Oh. Are you working Tuesday? What are you doing yeah. tomorrow? I gotta go to I gotta go to Aiken Tack Exchange tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I should stop by there too um, for a protein supplement for one of my mares who, sure enough, has a well, protein that, deficiency. We'll just choreograph that, and you can meet you can meet my oldest. Absolutely, we can I stop gotta, by Dover and we can do a I need some buddy pack. Yeah, I gotta find some uh, I gotta find some buddy stirrups for her for Sunday. We've got, oh, this is a Western saddle, isn't it? Yeah, I need those that go over the horn. Gotcha. Um, if she ever decides to go English, uh, just let me know. You're asking a lot of this child. Me, I'm, you know, me. He's going to love jumping. I'm an open bush. Jumping. I don't know. Maybe. This pony, he can jump. I already know. It's got. To, it's going to have cute knees and everything. We're, we're going to, you're just, at, seven, she's 17. Can she? Child. Pony finals. <laughs> She's a seventeen-year-old so, driving pony. You guys want to know something funny? So I opened up um, the plaid horse, their um, pony finals edition, and I was flipping through, and they had a section over twenty still going, 
It was all of the horse, the ponies that went to pony finals that are over 20. Listen, I see barrel horses in their 20s still oh, yeah. showing at a high level. Oh, and it, it all depends on it all depends on the breeding. All depends on the horse. Your mileage may vary because, you know, some horses are destined to be retired at 20. Some horses are destined to be retired at 25 or 30. I'm and destined then, to be retired at 25, but here I am. Yeah, well, you know, I figured I'd be dead by 35, but I'm about to be 40. I'm so. surprised I'm serviceably sound. Y'all had yeah. really long expectations. I was, I'm surprised I made it past 20. <laughs> You know, it's just, you know, work. I wasted a lot of money on like college that I never used. And then, like, what, you know, and just alcohol abuse, the military, construction. Like, I, horses, like, I've just tried to murder myself. I've tried to murk myself so many times, and it's like, apparently, I suck at it. I don't know. Like, these days, I just dream about taking a shower with a toaster, you know? I've got a new bath bomb. Uh, <laughs> kidding, kidding. For legal reasons. It's a hair dryer. Uh, so this I was flipping through the pages of this magazine and when I come across this section I start flipping through. Lo and behold, there's this pony, Helicon Buccaneer. Helicon Buck I like the name. That's pretty dope. That's I bad. rode I rode this pony when he was six years old. Oh really? I, I showed the Helicon show ponies. Um, I started with Molly Ryan Dollar at Helicon Stables in Colorado, in Parker, Colorado. And I remember this One gray pony. That... <laughs> yep. Hey, I, Flo. Yes. Question. If we ever find the people that want to invest and we all go in on this mare you have and we get her bread. And, like, I don't know if this horse will end up, the, the offspring will end up in a claim race, or if we'll end up racing the horse. Because, I, you know, I want in. I'm, I'm all in on this. If nothing else, I want to make an appendix out of her. But She's only nine. She's got time. She's got time. I can make I can make me the, the next NBA world champion. But, you know, racehorse. Like, I, I kind of just want to make a fucking racehorse, y'all. This is getting an explicit right label. I already know it. Anyway, the the deal. But here's the thing. Are you talking can, about naming rights? Can we name her Spicy Play-Doh? Spicy Play-Doh. I'm thinking that's that's she, pretty dope. She's so she's new blue cat. Okay. New Spicy Play-Doh. <laughs> it's kind of an inside thing with me and Flo about Spicy Play-Doh. I, I think we can do some kind of um, explosive uh, themed name. Yeah, because your your old man is what EOD. Yeah, he was. It's like most He's EOD. Like most EOD people you meet are like Navy EOD. It's like it's rare to meet a Marine EOD because it's kind of small. It's kind of a Very small job field. Like I said, he's a lot cooler than me. And and <laughs> they probably work with a lot of sailors. I would imagine. Not so much, mostly the dogs. Really? Um, but one of the stories I like to tell about us is when we were in Australia deployed, he was one of my best friends, um, still is. And I. Wait, you said Australia? We were deployed to Australia. Um, That's got to be dope. Um, uh, I would go into the bathrooms in the morning in the gym, mm. and it was like searching for an IED because spiders. And I found a banana spider the size of my hand. The body was the size of my hand. Um, 
while I don't have large hands, that is a large spider. I did not have to go to the bathroom that day. I walked right out of the gym, walked straight back to my barracks and said, mm, not today. You know, Austra- like uh, I've had friends that were Australians like, and I've known uh, Australian sailors. I've known Australian Marines. And and they, you know, and like you talk about and they're like, oh, you know, our animals, like everything in Australia wants to kill you. And I'm like, yeah, that. that's what I've heard. But then they all say like, well, you're from the South. I hear the South of the United States, everything wants to kill you. And I was like, not yes. comparable. I'll tell you right now, not comparable. I'll tell but you, you know a what, funny story. You know what they're scared of, though? What they're scared of more than anything that we've got that they don't? Black bears. And I'm like, black bears yeah. are like dogs. Like they don't, they don't right. bother anything. They're scared to death of bears. I'll tell you right now. So we went to a Australian rodeo. Um, Ooh. No, Listen, they've got, they've got good cowboys down there. They got real Great good cowboys. Great cowboys. And they all got the accent. So Yeah. Right. The rodeo was not it. Um, it was in a round pen, like right. a 90-foot round pen. <laughs> <laughs> right? So me and all my wow. marine buddies, we pull up. And it is attached to a bar. Very Australian of them. Loved yes. it. And there are a bunch of Australians telling us stupid Americans, hey, stay away from the bar for a second. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Totally fine. So next thing I see is six very large Australian men carrying out what looks like a brown hose. Not a brown hose, a brown snake, turns oh, out. Oh, no, that's like one of the most venomous snakes in the world. Yes, it was. It was 12 feet, too. Twelve. They shot it with a tranquilizer to carry it out. These Very men, their Crikey. Bare hands were carrying out this 12-foot brown snake out of the bar. And <laughs> later, I asked one of the Australian women, hey, um, how did this snake get into the bar? It sounds like a joke, right? I was waiting for the punchline. It never came. She said, oh, it just slithered in. And I was yeah. like, it just slithered, slithered in. in. And she's like, yeah, that happens around here. I promptly left. So, so my Australian story is um, Australian sailors. Everybody knows, flow your Marine. I think you understand that. You know, the Marine Corps is founded in a bar. We and will t- not let anyone forget that. Yep. And you take, you know, y'all were still there in like 1900 and nobody noticed it. Um, the, <laughs> um, Everybody knows that the Department of the Navy, be it the Marine Corps or the Navy, um, knows their way around alcohol. Mm-hmm. A little it, too well. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's one thing Marines and sailors can agree on. We know how to drink. <clears throat> Australian sailors. So they showed up. It was like four of them. They showed up with like eight bottles of Johnny Walker. And I'm like, sweet, we're all going to get Johnny Walker. No, no, no. There's eight bottles for those for those four. They unscrewed the tops, threw them away, and were drinking them like they were sodas. It was drank us under the table. Woke up the next day, golden, totally like, fine. Like meh. Yeah, um, I can't drink a glass of wine now without waking up going, "Wow, my head hurts," and it's a three-day recovery. Mm-hmm. In Australia, um, they have cans of soda that are pre-mixed with Jim Beam. Like they, that is a normal, just they have just pre mixed cocktails and they just sell it everywhere, like just gas stations. I just, I just want to go to a racetrack in Australia. 
Yeah. And just get you know, hammered watching horses in Australia. You guys are going to hate me for this. Uh-oh. I had the opportunity to go and take leave while I was in Australia, and I did not. You should for, be ashamed of yourself. I should be, and I am. For the sheer, I didn't go for the sheer reason I had no other horse people with me in Australia that were willing to take leave, get a flight to Melbourne or Sydney, and come watch the races with me. Um, because it was race season. We were there in the dry season. Um, turns out the two seasons are dry and wet there. Just, just yeah. dry and wet, yeah. Yeah, it's it's hot and hotter. I was in Darwin, the <laughs> armpit of Australia. Ew. Yeah, I was in, so <laughs> for your listeners that are like, she was in Australia, that sounds so cool. No, Darwin's not Darwin. cool. Darwin is not only just not cool, but it's just, it's, think of um, 29 palms and just pluck it and put it in Australia with more deadly animals. Can we just stop and just <clears throat> take a moment of silence for any marina station at, at, at 29 palms? I was there for uh, 10, 10 months. And, uh, oh, my God. <sighs> you know, I hear Marines talk about, oh, man, you don't want to go to Jacksonville. And I'm like, Jacksonville's not that bad. Not that bad? I mean, you can go to go to Wilmington and, and, and party. There's Saigon Sam's if you just got, you know, something that you forgot that might not be on the books that you just need to get rid of. And, uh not i've heard horror stories about 29 29 palms is like stepping back to the 1960s and not in a good way not in a good way at all um but i will say 29 palms has a stables on base so does fort gordon they do but 29 palms and camp pendleton i could tell you horror stories about the stables on camp pendleton not because of horse care but because of people the marine corps does the mostest with the leastest to be honest and, and people always ask me because they're like oh you were in the military and i was like yeah you know briefly and uh everybody's like so you know uh what what should i join should i join the navy I'm like no are you intelligent join the air force i've never yeah. seen an airman frown no they get the the best shit they get the best jobs they get the best facilities i mean golly like yeah. i had a good I had a good friend of mine that was um, um, had her duty station was the uh, Naval Hospital in Beaufort, South Carolina, which is adjacent to uh, Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort. It's nice down there. My husband was there for a long time when. Um... Yeah, it's not horrible. And that's considered good housing. And those houses were built in the 50s. You guys, you're going to get a good laugh. So I was at Miramar for a long time. Uh, Ooh. Right? Ooh. Top gunned it out. <laughs> even though it's not, they, even though Top Gun's not there anymore. Not there. I did play volleyball on that court, though. Did you really? Back, I did. Um, yeah. Some tells me it hasn't changed since 1985. It has not. Yeah. So the barracks. Welcome to the Department of the Navy. The barracks in Miramar, um, they're very cool because we each got our own room. And by that, I mean we got a. 12 by 10 foot room to ourselves and you shared a bathroom and a mini fridge and a microwave with someone else. But that was the pinnacle of base housing for single Marines was you got your own room. That was, that was the coolest part. You got your own room. Um, 
didn't matter. You had to go three up three flights of stairs, but you got your own room built the, in 1984. The part of this is I'm having like cringy flashbacks. So, I I can't chime in because I'm not military. I've only dated and been married to military. Um, but my boyfriend became- Jodius Maximus. Thank you. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I was never a Jody. Never had one either. Um, that you know of. No, those boys fear me. <laughs> they thought what I could ride. <laughs> but uh, my before my boyfriend ever met me, he was not into horses. Like, not really a horse person at all. Like, he helped to, like, like with ranch chores, like, baling hay and stuff like that. He was at a school somewhere in Kentucky or on leave, something like that, with a bunch of his buddies. They rented an Airbnb. The weekend of the Kentucky Derby, the Airbnb that they rented and split between like five of them was entirely horse themed, had all sort like all of the Kentucky Derby, like to the nines. And then the woman that they were running the Airbnb with was like, hey, this was this major horse race in town. I can get you tickets if you guys want. My boyfriend got to go to the Kentucky Derby for free with his Airbnb before he ever even met me. And I'm like, I've never hated a guy more for something he did before he met me. I think it's funny yeah. that you were talking about the Kentucky Derby and I just pulled out Woodford. There you go. Let me show you guys something really cool. One second. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm concerned. I don't know. Should I drink bourbon? Do I need bourbon? You know, if you have to ask, the answer is yes. Okay. Flo, okay. do I need do I need bourbon? I lived in Savannah long enough that if you have to ask if you need alcohol, you need alcohol. Oh yes. <laughs> Flo, are you okay? Are you good? I just asked if I needed bourbon. Ooh, what Ooh. is that? I can't, I can't. It's 14 hands um, with American oh, Pharaoh. Nice. Can it I just better. Can I just say 14 hands, though? It's not a good wine. No, no, no. It's I, It'll never be opened. It's just for the bottle. Okay. Here's where it gets good. Oh. oh. That is a bottle of special edition and maker's mark for Justify. God. Are you ever going to open that? Never. Never going to open it because I cannot afford to replace it. <laughs> I'll buy you a bottle of Maker's Mark. Uh, bottle. Can, can I ask you a question, Flo? Do you like bourbon? I do. Absolutely. Really? Why haven't we drink bourbon? Your husband likes bourbon, right? He does. Um, actually, for his birthday, what is it a bourbon? I got him a... Actually, I'll show you guys. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, it's no secret. I'm a Buffalo Trace guy. I, I love Buffalo Trace. But I like Woodford because it's cheaper. There you go. Also, this my man is a whiskey man, and I'm a vodka girl. But I show jump, so I feel like vodka is implied. Vodka's so, implied. I, as not, a, I don't as hate a Russian, vodka. I'm a vodka person. But it's scotch, not bourbon. A, but this is what a, I got for my husband. As a Slavaboo? Ooh, Johnny Walker. Oh my gosh. Is he going to open that? Oh, he, he already <laughs> drank it. It's gone. Oh. It's just bottles now. Son of a bitch. But, so my dad owned a liquor store um, in Colorado, so I got a God, bunch of cool God bless, gifts. God bless him. Right? I got a bunch of cool gifts, but Jesse, I'm with you. As a Russian person, it's a vodka thing for me. So, um, and Flo knows I'm a Slavoboo. <laughs> so I, I enjoy it. I can't, I, I just can't help it. Like, so... Like, my last name is French, but 
I have more Scandinavian in me than French. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you spend that long, like, fighting off slobs, I guess you pick up some of it. Yeah. I'm but, German, Irish, Scottish. Yeah. I hate beer, but I love vodka. See, I love beer, and I love bourbon. I don't mind vodka, like, a, a good vodka, like, uh, yeah. Stoli, uh, um, Grey Goose, even though it is a French vodka, um, I think it's good. Um, Soraka's better. And, and I'm probably about to say something that's probably going to hurt y'all's feelings, and I'm sorry if it does. I like Tito's. Thank you! Thank you! Everyone judges me when I say I love Tito's. Tito's I think Tito's favorite. is a good vodka. Like a flow. And there's flow like judging us. That's okay. I had a Tito's martini once and I sent it back to the bartender because I was like, I'm going to save money. I was in Vegas with my friends and I was like, I don't I don't need to spend $20 on a drink. And I tasted it and I was like, did you make it dry? And he's like, no, no, I put his, this normal amount of vermouth in. And I was like, may I please have a Ciroc martini? I was like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Oh, you cut out. Yeah, you cut out. It says you're muted. Can you hear me now? There we go. There we go. Yeah, so Tito's is kind of one of those super smooth vodkas. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, you know, if you're used to, like, a little vodka bite, like that grain alcohol bite, yeah. you're not, you're not going to get it from Tito's. You're not gonna get it from Grey. Disagree. You're not gonna get it from like Grey Goose either. I I'm okay with Grey Goose, um, but on principle because it's French, I won't drink it. <laughs> we'll see. Like I like Stoli. My favorite is actually it's um, called Ooh. Beluga. It's a Russian vodka. Um, same quality as Ciroc, a little bit cheaper, um, which is always nice. But yeah, very very good quality is. <laughs> Yeah, one one vodka I recommend staying clear from is something called Russian Standard. <laughs> I was saying that's that's actually a pretty good one. That's the only vodka my boyfriend. Oh has. God. Oh my God. Oh. If that's the Russian Standard, then I, I'm moving to Serbia. <laughs> so, oh, and by the way, you mentioned Stoli. I have to say this: one of my the barn that I was at in Wyoming uh, was a barrel racing barn. That's why all that's part of why all my jumpers got started on the barrel pattern. Yeehaw! Had an own son of Stoli. Had an own. I like Stoli. Of Stoli. Stoli's good. Flo is Stoli good. That was psychotic. He was a he was a twin. Oh, we're talking about a horse. My bad. (laughs) I forgot this was a horse podcast. Shit. (laughs) Could have fooled me. We got onto liquor and we all and everything went haywire. No, uh, yeah. Like thousands of people download this every week, expecting horse stuff. You know, I mean, I forgot it was a horse podcast. Yeah, so I got to an You're going to be famous now, Jesse, just letting you know. There we go. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm used to it in low doses, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that after the Stoli story. So that own son of Stoli, he was like one of the last bred, like direct Stoli foals. And he was a one of a pair of twins. And that horse literally has to be like that horse 
has the had the perfect upbringing. I mean, I've seen 50 Colts go through the person who started him, and it's one of the, one of the cowboys I learned how to start Colts off of. And you can pick up that horse's feet and do whatever you want with it, as long as you ain't putting on a shoe. You put on a shoe, that horse will throw himself over sideways. Um, my it's, mare, my red dog. mares. Yeah, my red, my red Quorum. Same way. She's I, we run her barefoot. We've tried to run her in shoes. She's a full second slower. I mean, this horse runs good in shoes. He just hates the entire process of having them put on. No, Flo would like her because she's she's a decent. She's a pretty mover, and Autumn has jumped her a little bit low. But what you've met her, she's I have. Like, she's built like a limousine. She it's a family horse. Family you, you, horse. Yeah, yeah, I could ride her and like all three kids right behind me. Put she the whole is family long. On her. She's she's very corab. <laughs> I will say though, like I she's, could see her having a huge stride and that being super advantageous. And then, but her movement is so refined and pretty. Like it, it's amazing. Floaty. She's very floaty. And I think that's got a lot to do with the Arab. Yeah. Um, and she's. I think she's. I think she's gorgeous. I love her. She's very no, pretty. She's, Confirmation she's very, very functional, and I Just really long. like how she's built. No, like, in all seriousness, I do like – I'm not opposed to a longer back mm. in the speed events because it does create a longer stride. She I'm has a yeah, – I was about to say, and that's what makes her makes her very quick in what we use her for is she has a hell of a stride. And she is definitely – she's definitely trained right. Her That first step is with a hind leg. Mm-hmm. And I will say – with that longer back comes a slightly lower center of balance. It's mm-hmm. it's the difference between a Jeep and an F-150, right? In theory, same height. But mm-hmm. the Jeep, it's very easy to flip over. It's got a higher center of balance. But you've got those longer F-150s, and you're able to take the same terms a little so, quicker. It's yeah, so at, at one point, yeah, at one point, because she is such a long horse, I would imagine her nose and ass are at opposite ends of the barrel. I was I was picturing that you all keep saying her about her long back. No, like, I mean she's not like she's not like dummy long. It's not gross. It's not gross long. No, no, she's not dummy long, but she is okay. from withers to ass is probably thirty six inches. I'd say she's fifteen three long, but fifteen one tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. What I have to laugh at is Flo has seen pictures of my horse. Um, that horse is stunning. Would you believe that horse wears an, an 82-inch blanket? He does not look like he has a long back, but he do. Wow. It's so funny. I Donald wears an 84. Pounds. Like, he, that horse was not – I love it because when I ask for him to stretch out that stride, it's all there. Huge. The fact that I can fit a five-stride and a three-stride combo, like, people are – baffled and i'm like it's just rideability it goes super long it goes super short sometimes <laughs> sometimes we do a two stride and a one and i hold on for dear ever life <laughs> at least what i like to do is like canner to the long diagonal oxer and i see this really beautiful distance i'm like oh my god it's there and then at the last two strides i'm like chip please i'm scared <laughs> <laughs> and that is how i placed fifth and sixth i got uh, one fourth um but that is how i placed 
Um, it sounds like me playing football when I played football. It's just like everyone's like, yeah, come at me, bro. And then when somebody – all of a sudden you see somebody's shoulder coming right at your chest. You're like, shit, and you just bow up. <laughs> to a T, exactly what I did at the show. Like the whole course, stunning, beautiful. And then to that long, long canter, I was like, okay, it's there. And my mare's hunting the fence. I'm like, this is awesome. And then the last minute I was like, no. Like, add one, please. And my mare, she she adds it's one because she's awesome. It's two six two. I'm like, come on, Flo. And she canters around the turn, like kicks out of my legs. She's like, come on, mom, you know better. It's a high, Mario. I like, I, I, my horse does that thing, and I feel like a horse that is in the two six jumpers should not be doing it. It definitely feels like a meter ten and higher. We're in those last three strides. Even though they're not gaining any speed, they stretch for it. Right? And you're like, no, don't. Don't do that. Please don't. No, 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 no. We don't need to be doing that, sir. And that's what was one of my problems. That's one of the bad habits I had to fix is he would do that and I'd grab his face. I'd be like, please don't. Please don't. For the love of God, please don't. But like, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, and soften elbow. But when when you're just like, okay, this is a lovely little hunter canter. Everything's coming up nicely and lovely. And then in three strides, it goes to, oh my God, he is going to swallow this hole and jump the standard. Because you can feel every muscle on their back contract as they do that. You're like, oh God, no. Terrifying sensation in the world. I will say, I have to admit, that is one thing that I've come to appreciate with the bigger fences. Um, they pat the ground. Yeah. Cause at, at two, six, like there's no, you don't pat the ground. Like it's, it's two, six um, cows jump a meter. But when you have, when you start getting to that meter, 20 meter, 30 meter, 40 and up, it's that last stride. It's just boom. boom and then, up in the air and it's just a different feeling and it's so much easier to ride it's just so much easier to ride than these two six fences because you can make a mistake at two six jumping a meter 30 because he 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 does that like i i have a really grainy video of me jumping that i'm trying to figure out what i want to do with it on stock but oh my god like you you can kind of see it he doesn't do it as dramatic it's only a two-foot fence i didn't even have it up but like he still does it and i'm like sir there's literally zero reason for the amount of enthusiasm you have right now none Uh, you know i'm always weary of a horse that's just like way too enthusiastic to do his job like at some point you're just like easy killer Exactly. let's just enjoy this together (laughs) there's i'll send you guys the pictures of tart at the show on the first day she was jumping it like it was three six and i had no mane to grab and I was just hanging on for dear life. And there's one photo of her coming off of the oxer on the long diagonal. And it looks like the eventing, like, poster sticker. Like, that's what it looks like. We're jumping down into a ditch because she just gave like effort. A, like a USEF poster. Yeah. To a T. And, like, I am sitting up as if we're jumping down. And you just see me slip the reins, like... And my leg is underneath me, and I'm just completely upright. My hands are super low. All the reins just on the buckle. I'm like, save me. You know what? You know what blows my mind is that I will soon be a member of the USEF. That's nuts. Me, a member of the USEF. I will say I can appreciate the organization um, quite a bit. Um, 
as much as I don't agree with like how easy it is to be a pro, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be I don't a, like that. I'm gonna be a pro at Western Dressage. You can be. That's the best part. You can just send a letter to Yousef and be like, I am doing professional activities. Make me a pro. And they're like, you got it. Like, really? Really? Okay. What was the best? I never thought about it. And then, like, the whole time I'm at Road to the Horse. Like, I'm at there the whole week. I drive right by USES headquarters. Like, every day, you know, going into Kentucky Horse Park. And then after the fact, I'm like, I'm going to do Western Dressage. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I could have stopped in and said hi. See, I totally lost that thought. It came and it went. So it it, it happens around here, you know. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, welcome to Behind the Horse's Eyes, the, the podcast for the mediocre horsemen. <laughs> if the you're a professional, the station without us sometimes. Yeah, nobody who's a good horseman ever comes on this show, so it's okay. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's just mediocre at best. I, I I like to use the term professional amateur. Do I know how to do my job? Absolutely. Do that's I understand? Just, people just, much better at me, but much better at it than me. That's, yeah. that's, that's code for meh. Okay. Well, well, well. <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm like English version. That's that's why we call it the round table of mediocre horsemen. Yeah. It's one of those like, can I make an amateur horse? Absolutely. Give me a meter sixty horse. Should I be able to ride it? In theory, yeah. Can yes. I? No. 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 <laughs> yeah. The same way with me, you know. Am I really good at two and three D? Yes. Give me a one D horse. Can I ride it? Yes. Am I going to place? I'm going to fall in the hole. Well, see, I feel like this goes back to that video that I, I uh, stitch of yours, Ryan, where you're like, "What makes a great horse?" And everyone's listing off world record like champions and everything like that, and I'm like, "Rideable." I want Rideable. a horse. Well, pack me, pack me sixty miles across backcountry without thinking twice. Well, that and, I- yeah, you know, and there's that's one thing, and not not to steal your sunshine. Yeah. But you know, and that's one thing I think a lot of people do not get with horses. I think ninety five percent of and, and made up figure for anybody that's going to fact check me, made up figure. Ninety five percent of people out there own a rideable horse. The rest own a broke horse. So I feel like we have those definitions opposite. It's just from my book. I feel like there are a lot of broke horses, but those horses that are truly telepathically rideable are in the lower majority. I feel like like it's the same idea we have. We're just reversing the terms. We're just reversing the terms. See, I always consider a horse that's rideable is your average weekend warrior horse. To me, that's a rideable horse. What I consider a broke, finished horse is in the small yeah. morning. And, that, and that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the... So we're uh, on the like, same page. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, living out in Wyoming, seeing those cowboys to where these pre-St. George levels of... Right. see what they are communicating to that horse. And when I say they trust that horse with their life, they literally do because yeah. when you are out in the back thousand acres of a ranch, it is just you and that horse surviving. And that like that is something that that is the top tier level of horsemanship for me. I feel like a lot of people buy horses that are already really good meter forty horses and produce them to meter sixty horses. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that can do that. And guess what? They are still mediocre horsemen because they don't have a horse that 
they would trust with their lives like that. no and, it, and the funny thing is is like and i don't think those guys get enough appreciation half of those horses are just like honestly some of the most ornery rank little snots yeah these, these little ranch horse strings some of them are just snotty little horses and not only are they having to do their job they're having to train their horse at the same time yeah like nine times out of ten like they use every excuse to to work on their horse while they're doing their job. Yup, there and it's nuts. That's a big thing. That's like just culturally different. Is that mm. these people that are doing the ranch work? That is their job, and the horse, in a way, is a tool, right? But yeah. they're yeah. having to train the horse, but they're using it as a tool and. When we're talking about like meter 60 horses, Grand Prix dressage horses, those aren't necessarily working horses in the same regards. They don't, the dressage horse, if you asked, if you just brought a cow into the dressage arena, you would have just the accident from hell, right? (laughs) Just chaos. You brought a cow into the meter 60 Grand Prix just chaos would ensue you'd have stallions trying to do whatever to the cow you'd have mares terrified trying to kill it i mean just chaos but you have these people on a ranch working whatever livestock they have with these horses training these horses at the same time while also doing a job the horse has a specific job and it's in continuity with the person and that is just absolutely magical to me what these people and can do most of those horses can do upper level dressage they yeah. have they can passage they can do all of that and it's second nature to them because it's skills that they picked up ride and range whether they want to admit it or not yeah and a lot of those horses work purely off leg pressure because the hands are constantly busy yeah right and it's something that we side yeah. pass yeah it is leg pressure it's something that it is something that we work for in our horses because mm-hmm. I'm not in that world. You know, I'm I'm a Western rider, but I am not in that world. Yeah. You know, and it's something that we strive for and we work so hard to get out of our horses that is honestly just kind of a second nature thing to those guys. It is part of the job. You need a right. horse. You need a really light horse that honestly, while your hands are are fighting this calf that needs to be doctoring because it's got an abscess. That horse is working 50% off instinct and 50% off leg pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is where, like, I have kind of a gripe with the horse world. Is... And a lot of these, and not to interrupt you, a lot of these are just grade strings that these ranches yeah. breed. Yeah. they're Now, they're predominantly quarter horse bred, but they're all grades. Yeah, they're for a horse percher on thoroughbred, whatever happened to be turned loose on accident. Like it is literally a little bit of everything. Yeah. And where where was has the train left the station? Uh oh. Uh oh. The TBI. <laughs> there it is. Um but in regards to has the train left us? It's there. Let's see if it comes back. We mm. need it. Where Words, words. Words are hard. They are hard. It's late. I've been drinking a lot, and you guys have been thinking a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm, I I just wanted to, like, touch down. Like, that's why I feel like I'm I, – I, I don't want to see my heart. It's why I feel a little bit special to be an English person who's been so 
integrated into that Western world. Like I said, my jumpers worked cows before. I yeah. have had to trust my horse to work cows before. And that's not something that a lot of people in the English world have done. It's not something a lot of them appreciate. And that's kind of, that's still the standard any horse I get on has. Like, if I can't trust you to, if zombie apocalypse happened tomorrow, if, it's, if I could not trust that horse to carry me wherever I needed to go to be safe in the zombie apocalypse, it is not a horse I want. <laughs> well, we have to go back to, to the inception of when man first started riding horses. And what that meant for man, and that was a tool to help him find food. Yeah. And to cover ground. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and purely that, well, I mean, you know, before that, obviously, milk and meat. Yeah. But beyond that, when man started riding horse, it was to find food mm-hmm. and to go to war. And, yeah. and And to cover ground. And we see that... And we, we see – so like you know, dressage is a good example. Dressage came about is because civilians wanted a way of training horses so that they have horses about town that are like cavalry chargers that are yeah. trained to that level. That's where dressage come from, you know. And then you know we see in Western culture, especially in the working cowboy, those horses – and what a lot of people would see as, uh, you know, they're just raw tools of those horses. It's like you said, they literally put their life in that horse's, you know, proverbial hands. They're because just... what they do, what they do is extremely dangerous. Yeah. Day in yep. and day out. And for those of us that grew up in the show ring, we have nothing to compare that to unless you've done it. Mm-hmm. And there's, and I... there's one point I do want to make about the people that are working the cattle. Um, or just any livestock in general with these horses is there's now specifically coming from the English world that the other English riders that look down upon these people because maybe their riding skills aren't as highly um, refined as a lot of the English riders or the dressage riders specifically. And they, a lot of people will look down on these cowboys and it's very interesting to look at just the dynamic of training where that becomes involved because training these horses, it's the same amount of effort to make a Grand Prix dressage horse and to make a fully functioning ranch horse that can allow you to do your job correctly, safely, all of these things and put the same movements on. And I think a lot of people in the horse world are focused on what the rider looks like, how correct the rider is, when the functionality of what you're doing on the horse is vastly more important than what you look like and how well you ride. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, they, they put more value in um, correct by the book than they do utilitarian. Because these are utilitarian horses. These are utilitarian horsemen. They have a, a job to do. There's no judge right. that's grading them. They have calves to gather. They have cows that need doctored. They have, you know, calves that need tags. They have a job to do. They have and, a job to do. And, and the horses are just as much tools as they are partners. Right. Because I'm mm-hmm. sorry, on day 1,600, right? You, you, that horse knows you inside and out, knows every aspect, every inch of your body. And guess yes. what? You know inch of that horse. They know you those know cowboys. Bad, they know when you're having a bad day. Yeah, those cowboys know. I was just about to say, those cowboys know when their horse is having an off day. 
the horse knows when their cowboy's having an off day, and they know exactly what their horse is thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, what, that that's yeah. one aspect of horsemanship that we don't see enough in any of the show arenas. Are there people who exhibit it? Absolutely. I feel like the people who, you know what, had to grind and get there, show it a little bit more the teenagers that learned how to braid and stayed up to two o'clock in the morning braiding horses for extra cash and people who sat on any barrel horse they could to simply get ex- experience it on a horse are going to be the ones that you know have that little bit of extra grit and can tell from a mile away if a horse is having a bad day and it's not that the show world doesn't have it it's that and i i hate to say it but finances have kind of separated it. no it really does there's no hate about it it's just we see it in our yeah. world too. Flo mm-hmm. sees it in her world. You see it in your world. It, money can buy the best trainers and the best horses on the planet. Well, and, and you can't uh, compete with it. This is no. the thing, and it's not just buying the best horses and buying the best trainers. It's this grand notion that if you work really hard and you become a working student and you work for free long hours, that you're able to make it. And what the horse world has not caught up with is it's not necessarily having a million dollars it's just having the financial stability to go be the working student if you have that financial stability to be a working student and work for free and maybe get a lesson once or twice a week that will alone put you ahead and it's i think that's the notion that people have is oh i need a million dollars no you can still technically do it Without yeah. having a thirty thousand dollar horse or twenty five thousand dollars to but you're mess gonna around devote with, your life twenty four hours a day to it, right? But you have to live, and that's the part that the financial um, aspect no. comes into play. The biggest part is, do you have the financial means to just live a life, just eat, buy well, gas, and be a working student? And that's the part that a lot of people just unfortunately can't do is they have to get a job. So they can't be a working student. And that's that's part a big the, gripe I have. Part of the point I wanted to make, too, isn't even necessarily that. It's not even like how we get better as horsemen. But there are a lot of people these days who can afford to simply ride their horse. To simply go out, maybe tack up if someone if they don't pay someone else to do it for them. Throw a leg over, get their lesson, put, hand their horse to someone else and leave. And we don't. And I when I w- was working in stables, I story time for you guys and it's the it's the story that and hurts me and pisses me off and frustrates me the most was i worked for a year at this barn it's the barn where i ended up started developing my ovarian cysts where i actually blacked out in a stall um i the owners were fairly wealthy and it was kind of split you had a bunch of adult amies you had a couple of wealthy people and then you had the ia and junior teams And so I kind of like blended in with all of them the best I could, but there are people who, you know what, had all the money at their disposal, was leasing a different horse every few months and then complaining about, well, I don't click with this horse. I don't understand why I can't just get like the horse I had before, like all of this. And then, you know, I see the junior riders, I see the 16 year old just sitting in her horse's stall, hanging out with them. I see, you know, the IEA riders who are begging and pleading their parents to go to summer camp with the horses and everything like that. And I eventually reached a point to where I had to leave that barn. And I mean, I did all the extra free hours. I technically only got paid for eight hours a day and I was there from 12 to 16. 
And when I left, I offered the owner of the barn, who was sadly one of those rich people who constantly had horses coming and going and didn't understand why they weren't clicking with horses. And I offered for her, I will write down every single horse's personality, schedule, quirks, everything in a composition book. I'll go buy it. I will write everything. And we had a few geriatric horses there. And that they meant the most to me because most of the time their owners never had kids. That's the last horse they're probably ever going to have. Like, I wanted to make sure those horses were fine. I offered that. And I mean, I truly did. I knew every minute of, of every single horse's daily schedule. They said no. After I left, three horses died in a three-month span. And it was all preventable. And when I heard that, it was just like, th- these are the stories you don't hear when people talk about their working student experience of when you genuinely have the only thing you care about is the horse. The, and that 31-year-old geriatric pony who honestly ate far too much and colicked at the simple thought of a weather change, I treated him like he was a meter 60 Grand Prix horse, like he was about to walk into the Olympics. And he is sadly one of the horses that was lost and it hurts. And that's part of the mental toll that people don't want to talk about is when you are that working student, when you are working all those long hours, even when you've left that barn years later, the things that you could have prevented, if only you were there hurt and haunt. And it has made me think about getting out of horses multiple times because it's just painful. There's not just physical wear and tear. It's not just the, Am I going to be able to eat next week? It's not going to be what happens if my car breaks down. I'm not going to have the money to afford it. It's the mental toll of I did everything for these animals and I couldn't save them at the end of the day. And it sucks and it hurts. Yeah, very much so. Especially when you have owners that like you want them to care as much as you. Like you like they have horses that you could only dream of and unfortunately whether they don't have the time whether they don't want to have the time regardless it doesn't matter that's it's almost semantics that you're arguing at that point but it's things that they have things that you can only dream of and it feels like they take advantage of it and it's the mental toll of being a working student is just almost not worth it anymore yeah it's one of those things that like and I see it more and more in the horse world I even see it with some professional trainers I know oh absolutely the horse is gone the appreciation for what it takes to be a good horseman is gone and I know we sit here and we call ourselves the you know round table of mediocre horsemen but at the end of the day I still feel like there we some of us definitely have more horseman chops on our pinky than some grand prix riders just because guess what we at the end of the day we know our horses inside and out we know when they're having a bad day we know every aspect of their lives and some there there are definitely grand prix riders out there and top tier riders that just don't oh absolutely ryan you're muted <laughs> we got there nothing. i am there we i go. was about to say when you talk about your pinky at literally rode an English pony with a pinky. Because <laughs> you cannot tell me I cannot put my reins and collect them in my left hand. Exactly. Not going to happen. You're, you're not going to make me ride with two hands. That's what I said. I, I know. I, I feel like the mediocre horseman is a humble title. 
It oh. is. You know, and it's a tongue in cheek type thing. Like, yeah. you know, there's a Facebook group and it, you know, and there's a bunch of people in there and it's the, the round table of mediocre horsemen. Yeah. Flo's a member. Absolutely. You know, we do episodes with all of our friends and you are definitely invited. I've already joined. There you go. I'm talking about when we do shows. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um and you know, and it's it, it's a very tongue in cheek play at you know, everybody um I think the majority of people out there always put themselves a little higher than what they really are. And oh, I always yeah. consider myself as the – I'm the perpetual intermediate rider. There you go. The professional amateur. <laughs> that's right. I'm the professional amateur. I'm always learning, and I always want to learn. And the day that when I think I've learned it all is the day I probably need to get out of it because I'm going to get myself hurt. Oh. I'm going to get a horse hurt. And and that's where the round table of mediocre horsemen come from is that – it's okay, you know, and I always tell people, listen, if you're just a weekend warrior and you just want to get out there and you just want to pleasure around the weekend, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with just being the the advanced beginner that likes to trail ride. And if you're comfortable with that, and if you've got a horse that's suitable for that, then be okay with that. More it's power okay. There, there's no, there should be no ranking system in this world when it comes yeah. to horses. We all have the same burning passion and desire, and that is these amazing four-legged animals that we call horses. Exactly. You know, it, it, and, exactly. It, and it really doesn't matter in the end the breed, the discipline, or anything. We're all in this together. Yep. We all learn from each other. We all grow from each other. And the only thing that I really ask people that come in contact with me is that every day that you put a foot in a stirrup and you throw a leg over a horse is to make it better than the day before yep. is to learn as much as you can for the sake of your horse, be the best horseman you can for your that, horse. That is all that matters at the end of the day. And like I had that one, vi that one video that kind of went viral where I was, I, I kind of broke down about my missed opportunity at 17, but, and someone's like, it's okay if you just enjoy your horse. And I'm like, that's what I've been doing. Right. Like, I yeah. about is being, and, and like, not just being as good of a horse as I can, but I, I only jumped to six. I want to have the technical ability of an Olympic rider. I don't care if I'm not jumping a meter 60. I still want to have the understanding of what it is. And I still feel like there, you know, there are definitely going to be days where the things you learn when you put your foot in that stirrup are going to have absolutely nothing to do with riding. And those are the days that kind of, kind of warm my heart the most. Cause I'm always working on being a rider, but when I put my foot in the stirrup and I just enjoy my horse for a day and I learn a whole lot about myself or think about the world I'm in, it ultimately does come back to the horse because it affects my mental health and usually makes me happier. But that's also entirely valid, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And the horse world needs people like that, like us, where we're not the Olympic level. We're not just buckles everywhere. We're, we're the people that if somebody needs a tune-up on a horse, sure, we can get on it. And do we know how to ride effectively? Absolutely. Do we have right. to ride pretty all the time? Absolutely not. not. Do we know how? Absolutely. Do we know how to put buttons on a horse that will help the person ride their horse better or enjoy their horse more? That's all that really matters right. in the horse world, especially like the horse world could not exist without people like us 
without people like so many of your listeners, Ryan, is we don't we don't have to be the top level anything to matter in the horse world and to make a difference. And that's the most beautiful part no, of it. Because the it's you know, it's probably one or two percent reach that top level. The yeah. rest of us just strive and have fun with it. And isn't that the whole point? If it's not fun, why do it then why do it? Right. Exactly. You know, because you know, I could have a lot of really nice things for what I pay. I have a lot of horses. And I'm about to add another. I feel that. I feel that. You know, and I could have a lot of really nice things for horses, but I can't imagine my life without horses. And I don't need to be at Worlds every year, and I don't need to be competing at a high level, and I don't need this or that to feel satisfied. You know, I I just you know I like my daughter today. Watching my daughter ride this pony that we checked out today for her, and have the confidence to go, okay, you can just let go of the lead rope. I've got this, and I just tied the lead rope, you know, like a makati around the the horse's neck and let her go and follow another kid that's her age around in a field. As a dad, as a horseman, I mean, there's nothing greater in the world than that. And I get off on that. You know, I don't I don't really give a damn about buckles and ribbons and cups and trophies anymore. They're great. You know, I've got some and it's cool. And I wear them occasionally. But I've realized that I've gotten older and the the world is a lot bigger than that. And there's a whole nother generation that wants to get into this. And there's a lot of really crappy people. That's going to shut the door on their face just as soon as they show interest. And I don't, I don't want this industry, English, Western, it doesn't matter, to die with me. Yeah. And that's one thing that, like, at the end of the day, that's my goal. I want to be the person that I was watching when I was a four-year-old girl hanging onto rails trying to learn more about horses because my family just couldn't afford one. That's the end goal. Like, does the whole thoroughbred breeding operation sound super cool and is a really eventual thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I want to be I I and that's one thing that I always try to tell my show riders and anyone who I know who I sh- anyone I know who shows is there is a little kid clinging to that fence watching you. If you walk out of that gate and you are shaming your horse, screaming at your horse, disciplining your horse for knocking a rail, knocking a barrel, whatever, that little kid's going to see it. Yeah. If you go down and knock down every single pole, every single barrel and you walk out and you hug your horse and you love your horse, guess what? That's what that little kid's going to you know, I always say that, you know, horses can have off days, just like people can have off days. Exactly. And it takes a horseman to, to notice those signs mm-hmm. and know how to adapt. Because every run, you know, and I, I say runs because I, I equate yeah. it to my industry. Every run is not going to be the same. Everyone's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And the day that you start blaming your horse because of something you should have caught earlier or – you blame your horse because of something you didn't prepare. Your your horse is only as prepared as you are. They're yeah. only as prepared as you train them to be. You know, you know I mean, I, I've never understood people that want to blame their horse. You know, like I've seen I've seen kids talk about, well, if you had bought me a better horse or if you did. You know what? You should be happy that you got a horse. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed a horse until I was old enough to buy a horse. Right. I have to say the proudest moment I've ever had with horses. It was at this show at Highfields. Um, like I, I had my rounds on tart and yeah, I was incredibly proud just to go in and just do it. But 
the proudest moment for me was seeing that young girl on my mare in that victory gallop, just seeing the look on her face, just happy that she just got to ride a horse and have fun. And like, because I saw the first round, she kind of blamed herself for a few spots. And I told her, I'm like, don't, don't. What's what's the worst thing that happens? I have a video showing this horse makes it to the other side no matter what. Who cares? That's what we're here for. We're just here to have fun. I was like, this is a schooling show. We are we are just happy that the mayor came out today and said, I want to continue working with you guys. And that was just the proudest moment in my entire life was seeing a horse that I had purchased three years before then that didn't have a left lead. Like just at all, there was no way to pick it up that her jump, she hung her knees over, uh, like she was galloping at fences and there was no stopping. I mean, and her to go into the arena with this young girl that had only ridden her twice before then and in very good company, take a fourth place ribbon in a derby that this mare had never done. Like it was just so satisfying to me as someone that is a professional in the industry, right, wrong, or indifferent, just saying, look, I, I actually did it. I actually made a horse that someone can go in, ride, and just have a good time. D- ribbons, doesn't matter. That 25-cent ribbon, I don't care. I'll go buy one if that's what really matters, you know? But just seeing the look on that girl's face that she went in there and just had a good time, that's what that was my proudest moment. I like I immediately started crying after her round because it was just so beautiful to see someone going enjoying my hard work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like it's the same for me. Like it's not anything I've ever accomplished. <clears throat> Probably my proudest moment as a horseman is watching a horse that I bought as a dull, deadheaded lesson horse turn into a 1D barrel horse and watch a kid get a paycheck in every class that she entered that night. A kid that came to me and had never been on a horse before. Like, it means more than anything that I could have ever done on my own. To know I was a part of that. You know? I mean, it's... I, I think it's one of those things is maturing as a horseman... You know, when we're young, we're thinking about what we can do. I think when we're older, we're thinking about what can we pass on. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And if you don't have the mentality by the time you're in your late 20s, early 30s about I can pass this on and mold the next generation, you got to stop and think about it. Because, I mean, most of us peak in our mid 30s. Yeah. Athletically, we peak in our mid thirties, you know, and and a lot of people look at you know taking on a few students as a way of paying for their way in the sport world. But you got to look at what you create when you do that. You're creating the next generation. You got to take pride in that. And <clears throat> these days, I enjoy that. I watch every time. You know, I always talk about this one girl, Autumn. Autumn was a jockey for me forever. And I've had a bunch of students, but Autumn uh, Autumn is now my best friend. You know, one of them. She was a student of mine. She came to me, you know, she's 21 now. She was 12 when she came to me. 
and she grew with a horse that was a dull deadhead and helped me turn this horse into a one D barrel horse. And as one this horse is paid for itself, my limousine horse. This horse is paid for itself ten times over. I mean, to me that is the ultimate. You know, that's better than any buckle, any ribbon, any cup, any trophy. There is nothing you can give me tangible that Definitely. is yeah, that, that competes with the feeling that I have watching that kid compete. And I think that's just uh, why we're so attracted to the off the track thoroughbreds is because that's that little piece that we can give back to the horse world is creating a horse that a kid or an adult can ride on their budget that they can go enjoy their little piece of the horse world Mm -hmm. that we helped create. And that is just such an amazing feeling is taking a horse that either had a really successful career and was just done or didn't have a successful career and turning it into something that can grow with someone else in a safe way that can teach someone else that someone can have a piece of the horse world with them and just take it and run with it. And that is just, it's a really beautiful feeling of taking those horses and turning them into something that someone can enjoy. Well, it's not just that. You're giving a horse a chance. 